اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم حرمت علیکم المیتتو والدمو واللحم الخنزیر بما احل لغیر اللہ بہی Alright, we are here on Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse number 3. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning the different categories of animals that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited us to eat. Alright, these are quite detailed rulings. And these ayat in Qur'an have to be understood in light of a few other ayahs in Qur'an al-Kareem. One or two we did earlier in Surah Al-Baqarah. And one is coming further ahead in Surah Al-Anam. First, let me begin by the translating. Hurimat alaykum, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made prohibited upon you. Al-maytatu means carrion, means that animal which you find to be dead, a corpse. So the word that they use in English for animal that is an animal, animal cadaver is carrion. Waddamu and blood, this refers to flowing blood as opposed to congealed blood. That I mentioned to you before that when you wash your meat, a lot of the blood which is flowing blood will come out. There will obviously be some redness left inside that is congealed blood. That is why it's also permissible to eat liver. Oh, kaleji. Right? Obviously that has blood in it, but that has congealed blood. It is not considered as flowing blood. Walahmul khinzir literally means and the meat of the pig. Alright, but it means any edible item from that pig, and I'm going to show you later the hadith in which Sayyidina Rasulullah specifically mentioned that fat and other byproducts are also forbidden. And that which has been sacrificially offered for any being or any purpose or any name other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that can also include an absence of offering it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is sometimes people when they read the English and Urdu translation, they make a mistake, misunderstand and they think that okay, if somebody in America has slaughtered meat, they didn't slaughter that meat on the name of some idol or the name of some other god, so I'm still clear. No. It means that that meat which was sacrificially offered for any being, reason, purpose other than Allah, even the absence of the doing it for the sake of Allah falls in this category. Right? It's like saying, somebody saying to their friend, if you do it for any other reason than this, I won't accept it for you. So it means that there's only one reason in which you can accept it. So that's the way you can understand in vernacular English. Any other reason, any purpose, any thought, any ideology other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, lack of a feeling or lack of intention is also other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Okay. وَالْمُنْخَنِكَةُ those of you who do surf, this is one of the favorite sigas that sometimes our stars, Mullah Muhammad Ashrafi Mullahu Ta'ala used to give us to do. Munhanika is that animal that has been strangled, or sometimes they will say that animal that has been throttled. It means the animal which has died due to its windpipe being squeezed. Mulmokudha means that animal that has been clubbed to death, struck to death. They were once upon, I don't know if it's true anymore. There were some leftists in America, and you could tell us if it's true now, but they had this whole website up that they were against McDonald's. There are many, many reasons to be against McDonald's. They had their own reasons. And their reason was that they claimed in that website that the way the animals are slaughtered, uh, the way the cattle is killed, is that huge, big boulders are tossed down upon them. Allahu Allah. Right? If that was the case, then it would fall under this. Right? So those animals which have met their death by being clubbed to death. وَالْمُتَدَدِّيَةِ 
That is that animal that has been killed in a fall. Has killed, been killed due to a fall. Natiha. That is an animal that has been gored to death. This can sometimes mean by another animal. So another animal which has antlers or has a horn like a rhinoceros and they gore or they pierce that animal to death. That is also an animal that is impermissible to eat. Mama akala sabau. Sabau means wild animals. Some commentators have said that it means predatory wild animals, but it's understood that those anim- wild animals that kill other living animals fall into that category of predators. All right. Illa madaketum, except for those of any of the preceding category of, of preceding animal ways of dying that you slaughter. What does it mean? It means that if and there's an animal that, let's go back to number one, that was strangled but didn't die. Didn't die. The actual death took place because you slaughtered it. That's permissible. If there was an animal that was clubbed but not to death but had been beaten to maybe semi-consciousness but it died because you slaughtered it, that would be permissible. Similarly for all the previous ones. All right. There's often a very big debate about animal stunning right, in the Western countries. If stunning the animal does not kill the animal but the animal is stunned to make it perhaps easier for the person to slaughter, it's actually a commercial thing that when the animals are stunned, it's easier to slaughter more of them per hour, right? Rather than if any of you see what happens on Bakrid, that's quite a laborsome, cumbersome process, all right? But you don't, you have to check what do they mean by stun, because there are some places in the West where they also kill an animal through shock, electric shock, or type of stunning. So we don't know. If the animal has been stunned, but is still alive, and you kill it by slaughtering it according to the Islamic method, then that animal will be permissible for you. What is that Islamic method? You have to sever the carotid artery, jugular vein, the main blood vessels, so all the blood spurts out, so to speak. And again, it's more better than you do a practical uh, learning of that in Eid al-Adha, inshallah. And it means in those animals that were sacrificed, al-nusub means idols, can also mean the altars upon which idols were placed. Because the mushrikeen of Makkah used to do that, they used to put their idols up an altar, it means like a ledge, and they used to go physically there. right? And that also shows, obviously they felt, for us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's awareness and knowledge is everywhere. But for them, they even realized that that idol was only there in that one particular building on that particular shelf. So if we want to offer the animal to the idol, the idol will have no way of knowing unless we go to the idol and sacrifice it at the altar of the idol. So that's what it means. So obviously, that's understood that that is prohibited. This means that you draw lots by arrows, or you determine, literally means you do taksim, you determine shares by arrows. This was another practice in pre-Islamic Arabia, Jahiliya, that what they would do is that a number of people would own a camel, but when they slaughtered it, they would draw lots to see who got shares from that meat. For example, let's say 10 people owned a camel. They would take 10 arrows. Seven arrows would have a mark on them. Whoever drew those seven would get a share of the meat, of the camel, and whichever one of those, the three of those ten who drew an arrow that didn't have a mark, they would get nothing. This is not permissible because this is viewed as depriving somebody of their legitimate ownership that he owned one-tenth of the camel. So this is a type of gambling. All right? And gambling is going to come a little bit later in Surah Al-Ma'idah, most likely tomorrow. ذَلَكُمْ fiskun That all of this is sin and immorality for you. 
And this is the day that the unbelievers have lost hope that they could ever harm your deen or make you renege on your deen or eradicate deen. Literally it means that they have lost hope regarding your deen. Doesn't mean, again, you translate it like that, doesn't mean they've lost hope regarding themselves. It means they lost hope regarding their wish and desire to eliminate and eradicate deen. فَلَا تَخْشَوْهُمْ And you should not fear them. وَخْشَوْنِي But Allah Ta'ala says in Quran that you should fear me. أَجْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لُكُمْ دِينُكُمْ And this is the day in which Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala says He has perfectly completed for you your deen. وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي And has completely fulfilled upon you Allah Ta'ala saying my bounty and blessing. وَرَذِيتُ لُكُمْ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ And Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala saying we've approved for you and chosen, selected and been pleased with you only and only with Islam as your deen. Alright. This ayat have been referred and uh, been revealed in the year 10 Hijri. This is the case of Hajjat al-Wida. This very well-known incident that it was a Yom al-Jummah, was a Friday, was also the day of Arafah. Right, had many, many virtues gathered in it. And this was maybe the largest gathering of Sahaba Ikram. Some rivayat put it at over 100,000. Some rivayat write 120, 124,000. That is why later people feel that the Sahaba were in this number. I'm going to come back to that because I'm going to finish up the rulings of eating. Faminadullah means that that person who is compelled under duress, in extreme anger, oh extreme hunger, due to extreme hunger, and they're not intending in any way to do a sin. If they eat out of duress any of these things, right, which literally means that they're going to die of hunger if they don't partake, and they can only eat of that amount, that amount which can sustain their life. This is a principle the fuqaha mentioned in Arabic, that that which is deemed necessary by, due to dire necessity will only be allowed to the extent necessary. So you can only eat as much of, let's say, that carrion as you would need to stay alive. Right? That's what it means with the janif in the ism, not seeking any sin thereby. And indeed, Allah SWT is all forgiving, all merciful. Let me begin with that. Here is a lesson that Allah SWT is saying that even in those extreme cases, not the Urdu definition of majburi, the Arabic definition of extreme necessity, when that happens and a person partakes to the extent necessary, even then it's the forgiveness and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is enabling them to do so. And it's also suggesting that even then a person should make some istighfar, right? Because they, they somehow they were found themselves in a situation where they had to do something that was against the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, against the norm of the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. I mean, there are a few more ayat about the meat. Let me finish that. Then we'll come back to you. Yes, alunaka, ma'da ohillalahum. They ask you, my beloved messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as to what is lawful and permissible for them. Kul ohillalakum mutayyibat. Tell them, my beloved, that what has been made permissible for them is atayyibat. Now, atayyib means that which is pure, wholesome. And so the notion here, the Quran is trying to explain, and the Bihakim is explained further in Hadith, that there are certain animals, due to many reasons. Sometimes their physical appearance and features. Sometimes their own eating habits, whether they're scavengers or not. Sometimes based on what they eat, right? That have been determined to be tayyib, have been determined to be pure and wholesome animals. And therefore it's permissible for us to eat them. 
and other animals which are deemed to be impure in the sense that they're not good, they're not wholesome, they're not permissible to eat. All right. So one way is that you can understand what is tayyib and not based on what came before. But there's another way, and I'm going to explain that to you in a moment with the hadith. وَمَا أَلَّمْتُمْ مِنَ الْجِوَارِهِ مُكَلِّبِينَ تُعَلِّمُونَهُنَّ مِمَّا أَلَّمَكُمُ اللَّهُ And from those animals that you train, الْجِوَارِ مُكَلِّبِينَ means those animal hunting animals. There may be birds of prey, there may be dogs, there may be land animals, but that you train them from that which Allah subhanahu wa taught you. فَكُلُوا مِمَّا أَمْسَكْنَا عَلَيْكُمْ You may eat from that which they catch and hold for you. وَذْكُرُ اسْمَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ And you must read the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, pronounce the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala عَلَيْهِ There are two tafsirs on this. Number one, you must read it on the animal before you let them go. Right? And second is then when you reach and you reach that uh, animal that your hunting animal is hunted, you must read Bismillah on them as well. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And you should fear and always be conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ اللَّهَ سَرِيُّ الْحِسَابِ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is swift in His accounting and His reckoning. Alright, some additional details from the hadith. Number one, the hadith that is in both Bukhari and Muslims, a sahaba asked Rasulullah sallallahu about the fat of the carrion, and the Kareem sallallahu said that, and, and, and he mentioned the purposes behind it, and he said that we use it for to put on ships, we use it to anoint as an ointment on our skin, and we also use it to burn uh, as an oil, uh, to burn to light the lamp and a lantern. Right? So he also mentioned as maqasid, masale, manafi, its purposes, benefits. Then the Prophet responded, no, the fat is also haram. So this is also an important lesson for you to see in Hadith that even when Sahaba Ikram presented something, notwithstanding its benefits and its purposes and its functions and its utility, Sayyidina Rasulullah if something was haram, it's haram. So this now has been understood by the fuqaha. It's not just the fat of the carrion, the fat of any of these animals. Where does this come up the most? This comes up as an issue in cheese. Sometimes animal fat is used, or enzyme, animal fat is used to create enzymes which are called rennet, which are used to somehow culture the cheese. I don't know enough about the science of that process more than what I just said to you. Alright. So, there are certain, if you're fortunate enough to live in a place where a Muslim country and you have domestically manufactured cheese, then the assumption is that they obviously got the fat from an animal that was slaughtered Islamically. So the default position in a Muslim majority country, if the cheese is being manufactured by that Muslim majority country, that that is halal. If you're living in a non-Muslim country, then there are certain vegetarian associations who have their sort of you know, lacto, ovo, I don't even know, unki bi apne istilahate, Allah I don't even remember this stuff now. <laughs> I'm saying in front of you, there's one type of vegetarian that uh, doesn't believe in having uh, any dairy product, and there's another type of vegetarian that is fine having dairy products but not meat. That type, and I can't remember if that is lacto ovo or that's the opposite of lacto ovo, but that type of vegetarian that is fine with dairy but not fine with meat, they won't eat cheese that is cultured through cow rennet and they have associations and they put there the different brands of cheese that they have verified to be okay and edible for them. Secondly, Orthodox Jews in America in terms of their laws of kosher, also in England and Canada, they also won't eat this type of cheese and they have their own kosher cheese and they also have websites where they've mentioned which cheese is okay. All right? So this, all of this is coming from 
these ayat and that hadith of Nabi Karim Sallallahu in the Sahih Bukhari and Muslim. Second issue that comes up in the fiqh is what about the skin, the jilt, the hides of all of these types of animals. So the hide then of an animal is viewed as impure, but it can be purified through the process of tanning. So this is a particular process they have, they call tanneries, your leather, all of that is true except for pig. The animal, the pig, is considered najasul ain. It is absolutely impure. It is the embodiment of impurity itself. It is that impurity which is beyond tathir, beyond any purification process. Which again, if you buy shoes that are made abroad, then many times suede is either made from pig or made from lamb. Depending on the country and what type of animal they have in North America, the vast majority of suede products are made from pig. In fact, they even have some leather products made from pig. In fact, in American football, the football is made from pig, and that's why sometimes the football players call it pigskin. That's a nickname they have for the football. So you have to be a little bit careful. Now, the good news for you is that in Australia, almost all leather and suede is made from lamb. And of course, domestically, and I can't, it's either Sahiwal or Sialkot. Sialkot, right? So anything that's made in Pakistan, i.e. Sialkot, Bismillah, it should be fine, right? But these are things to look at. These are things that a person looks at in their deen, right? I've already explained to you previous days why the small things matter. Blood I explained to you already. Uh, issue about blood, by the way, side issue about blood is about the blood banks and hospitals. In the end of Islam, it's not permissible to buy and sell blood. The Islamic way around this is that a person can donate their blood, and when they donate their blood, they can become a member of a blood-donating, receiving society, and then if anything ever happens to them, they will be eligible to receive blood from that blood bank. So one very, and I personally have visited that place myself, and it's extremely state-of-the-art facility in Karachi. It's called Pakistan Blood Bank, and they operate on this Islamic principle. That if you donate your blood to them, then they will guarantee that wherever you may be, at least in Pakistan, if you ever need blood, they will send your blood type to you. Right? And this is a way that one has gotten around this issue of buying and selling blood. The reason is that because blood is part of a human being, and no body part, no part of your humanity can be sold. It's not views of what we call mali mutakawam. It's not a monetary asset that is a belittling to the human being and this pertains to organs as well you cannot buy and trade uh, buy and sell or engage in any type of organ trade all right This issue about slaughtering in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, another thing to mention to you about that is that the, Allah, the animal has to be slaughtered for the sake of Allah. The manifestation of that is by pronouncing the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the time of slaughter, but it's not required that a Muslim do that. So in some of these places, for example in America, they have Mexican labor and the Mexican is saying, Bismillahi Allahu Akbar, it's actually jais. It's actually jais and permissible for you to eat that meat. Right, so that's as long as the name of Allah Taala is pronounced by it, whether it is by a believer in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala or somebody who may not himself or herself believe in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. All right, so going back to the other part of this verse, so that verse, Ayyuma Akmatulukum Dinukum, etc. This was revered on the tenth of Hijrah. The first thing Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala saying is that they have despaired and lost any hope of being able to eradicate Din because after Fatih Makkah, that finally the Kufar gave up. 
There are few skirmishes, few tribes that continue after that, but the mass concerted effort, which was signified by sending an army in the Battle of Badr, sending an army in the Battle of Uhud, etc., etc., the whole incidents like that, that mass concerted effort was finished. And in that sense now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, and before and now and ever henceforward, that you should not fear them, but Allah ta'ala is saying that you should fear me and me alone. These three things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned. Number one, akmantilukum dinukum. Some have taken this to mean that this is also one of the last ayat of Quran al-Kareem. And here, due to this process of 20 odd years of Quranic revelation, now the deen has been perfectly completed. Another meaning is also that part of the completion of deen lies in being able, in what we call ghalabatu deen, or ila'i kalimatillah, in the establishment of deen being triumphant. And so the deen, although they had established deen in Medina Manora, there was an Islamic state and Islamic polity, but deen was not triumphant and a ghalib on the Arabian Peninsula until Fatih Makkah. So that suggests a sort of global order, if you will, in which Islam is the superpower. Right? That suggests a global order, if you will. It doesn't mean Islam forcibly converts everyone on earth to Islam, but a global order in which Islam is the superpower. That is ghalab al-deen, kalamatillah. So that is also part of the perfection and completion of the deen. And indeed, uh, if you see the rest of the way Islamic history proceeded, after Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam, it did emerge from that launching pad and moment, pivotal turning point of Fatimakka, that Islam then became that global superpower. So here Allah subhanahu is mentioning a second word which is his ni'mah, his bounty and his blessing. Here it suggests the same thing as the deen, it's not something else that Allah subhanahu has bestowed, but the deen is being mentioned as a favor and a grace and a bounty and a blessing of Allah subhanahu on humanity. What are they to look at? saying we've approved and preferred and been pleased with selecting for you Al-Islam as your deen. So now Allah subhanahu is saying, you know, almost the feeling is that when a person finishes and accomplishes a task, so Allah subhanahu that being, when he completed and accomplished his task, he was in a state of pleasure. It was the height of Allah subhanahu pleasure with humanity throughout history when deen of Islam, Al-Islam was completely revealed. That was the most manifestation. So it's not just human use, doesn't here just mean sahaba, it means all of humanity is being addressed here. That all of humanity has finally received the most perfect revelation, Quran al-Kareem, the most perfect prophet, Sayyidina Rasulullah Kareem, and the most perfect laws and ways, the sharia, and the most perfect spirituality, the tazkiyah that is there in the deen of Islam. All right. So all of this is done. Okay, hunting animals, right. I forgot to mention that one thing for you to the hunting animals. So this issue of فَقُلُوا مِمَّا أَمْسَكْنَ عَلَيْكُمْ So the training of an animal is done in the following way, that what does it mean that they hold and catch it? Actually, Nabi Akram taught that when the animals, when you train an animal to hunt, the sign that it is trained, it doesn't eat itself. It makes the kill, but it won't eat itself uh, after having made that kill. Right? Okay, and let me read this hadith to you. This is in the Sayyid of Muslim. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that when you release your dog, then take the name of Allah. 
So you see, this is because you have to understand Quran in light of Hadith. So the Hadith of Sahih Muslim is making clear, alayhi means that pronounce the name of Allah subhanahu on that animal of yours when you release them. Many times when people translate this, they suggest that, you know, the animal has gone on its own and has killed it. And when it comes in front of you, or even worse, when after you've even cooked it, and then it comes in front of you, then you say Bismillah. It's a clear sahih, sahih hadith that when you release your dog, and this is going to be any hunting animal, right? I could make it more amum when you release any hunting animal, then take the name of Allah SWT. If that animal catches some prey, then if it is still alive, go and slaughter it yourself. So do that, uh, animal slaughtering yourself. If you find, however, that your hunting animal, this is dog, if your dog has killed it, and has not eaten therefrom, has not eaten from it, then you may eat from it. Why? Because it's viewed that when you said Bismillah, when you let it go, it's like the animal was your knife. And it's like the act of slaughtering took place by you saying Bismillah using an Allah, using a tool. The tool in this case is not the knife, but the tool is the hunting animal. However, if your dog has eaten from it, then you may not eat from it. And the way the Prophet said this, and then it has, the animal will be considered as being as hunted for the dog and not for you. Meaning it's his own. <laughs> Hunt, let him enjoy. Right? Okay. Alright, so that is a hadith in Sahih Muslim. That was the laws pertaining to hunting. Okay, then I had also recited this ayah to you about the tayyibat. No, ayah number five. Al-yawma uhillu lakum tayyibat. On this day, Allah Ta'ala has made wholesome and pure things for you. So let me just mention that the fuqaha have made a quick list so you know which animals are pure. So that is cows, cattle, buffaloes, ox, similar such animals. Goat, sheep, lamb, similar such animals. Buck, antelope, kudu, deer, similar such animals. Rabbits, doves, pigeons, fowls, ducks, geese, turkeys, chicken, partridge, quails, sparrows, parrots. And similar such animals. Alright? So you get an idea. So, Badir Kane Wali Khush, okay. Alright? Okay. So these are viewed as Tayyib. Now that's beyond us, but there's a wonderful book called, uh, which I only for the first time in my life actually read a few pages of this past year, Al Hewan Al Kubra by Al Dimiri. A strange book of zoology written in this one of the books, considered one of the greatest books of the classical Arabic, but sort of not from the Islamic literature, but from the non-Islamic literature. And they write some really <laughs> shocking things about each and every animal. And at least it sums that classical Arabs really knew their animals extreme, in extreme, extreme detail. That's all I can say, extreme detail. And so they had a feeling for this notion of what was tayyib and what was not tayyib. We are urbanized people, we don't have that feeling anymore. What type of Arabs, what type of animals, their behavior and their patterns should be viewed as tayyib and which aren't. Now comes another very important issue. And the food and all the edible items of, but here obviously the rubbed means, it means the slaughtered meat, right? Of those who have been given scripture prior to you, it goes given scripture, hillulukum is permissible to you. And your Meat that is hard is permissible for them. Okay. Here, there is a common misconception. First thing is that number one, it's those who have been given the book. And those who have been given the book in the sense that those who have received the book. Here I can explain this to you even using some common sense. 
There, could, there are two possibilities. Either everybody's meat is permissible to you. That's clearly not being mentioned here, right? It's being mentioned that a particular category of people's meat is permissible to you. Now if they are, if there's nothing distinct about them, they're also like everybody else. They're also a secular atheist who may have a Christian name in New York, but they're also a secular atheist. Then they don't fall in this category. So there's a particular category of people which is separate from the rest of humanity. So you can have three categories. Believing Muslims, the, the believers, right? The Muslims. Everyone else. And a special subset from everybody else, the Ahl kitab So this means that those Jews and Christians who are believing Jews and believing Christians, not atheists, right? Not atheists. And what Judaism and Christianity do they believe in? They must believe by and large in at least the Judaism and Christianity that existed at the time the Quran al-Karim was revealed. Right? But as I showed you yesterday or day before, that did include the Trinity because the doctrine of the Trinity was there prior to the Quran al-Karim and the Quran al-Karim talks about, Allah SWT talks about it in the Quran. All right. Second, second thing is that this ayah is to be understood in light of all of those things that came above. So it doesn't mean that mutlaq, it doesn't mean absolutely all the meat of the people of the book is permissible to you. Because you cannot use this ayah to negate anything that came above. For example, pork is not permissible to you because Christians eat it in America. Right? Nor is carrion permissible. None of those things that we mentioned. And amongst those things that were mentioned, now watch this carefully. Just like carrion is not permissible, blood is not permissible, the meat of pork is not permissible, the animal that has been strangled and throttled is not permissible, the animal that has been beaten and clubbed to death is not permissible, the animal that is killed in a fall is not permissible, the animal that is gored to death is not permissible. Just like this ayah does not supersede that, if the Jews, even if a believing Jew and Christian does any of these things, that animal is not permissible for you. Just like that, the other thing in this ayah, if a Jew or a Christian slaughters something other than with the name of Allah or for the sake of Allah, that is also not permissible for you. This ayah has to be understood. Both of these ayahs have to be understood together. Right? Okay. And Allah subhanahu has made this clear in Surah Al-A'raf, which is Surah number 6. Oh no. Surah An'am, to Surah number 6, verse number 121. And do not eat from any such meat over which the name Ismullah, the name of Allah SWT has not been pronounced alayhi over that meat. So this ayah, along with these ayat, give you a complete package. No one ayah can be taken to supersede the others. For example, if a believing Jew and Christian slaughters pork and mentions the name of Allah, you can't eat it. <laughs> because it, it, fine, it fulfills this ayah, that the name of Allah was mentioned at slaughtering, but it doesn't, goes against that ayah. Even if a Muslim were to slaughter pork, saying the name of Allah, you still can't eat it. You can only eat that meat which Allah Ta'ala has been made permissible. Allah Ta'ala has made permissible things in this world in His entire Qur'an. Not just pulling out one ayah. That meat which is permissible according to all of these ayah together, that is permissible for you. So let me give you an example of which Ahl Kitab and to my understanding and research and when we lived in America we were extremely kept up with this. 
is the only meat from the Ahli Kitab in America that is permissible to eat is the Orthodox Jewish kosher. Because they do fulfill the Islamic laws of slaughtering, right? And they do pronounce the name of God on it, right? And they are monotheist, okay? So Orthodox Jewish kosher meat you could eat. Obviously, it's not maybe as, doesn't have as much barakah in it as that which is slaughtered by a Muslim. But that is what is meant here. Or any other meat if it fulfills all these conditions. Right? It doesn't mean in any way that all the meat in American supermarkets is okay and when you cook it and you're about to eat it, then you say Bismillah. That's not what Quran al-Karim is saying. Right? Okay. Some people also mistranslate this verse and say, That don't eat from that which Allah's name is not pronounced. So before we make pook marunga. Right? We'll be is pradam parate. Right? No, lam, lam, those of you who study Arabic, when lam comes on mozare, comes from mazi. means don't eat now that meat which Allah Ta'ala's name was not previously in the past pronounced over it. And when is that past moment? Not the time of eating. That past moment would have been the time of slaughter. Alright, and again, this, this ayah has to be understood in light of this ayah of that which has not been made sacrificially offered for the name of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. If you want a detailed book on this, Mufti Muhammad Taqi Uthman has written a book in Arabic, which has been translated in Urdu and has been translated in brilliant English by a friend of mine who's a white American convert who used to study at Northwestern, right, Amir Toft. And that's available, I have it upstairs if anybody wants to photocopy it. And this point I can say nobody's responded to that book. They may disagree with it, but they haven't been able to respond to the proofs written in that. And always remember that in Islamic discourse, uh, scholarly opinion... That is, when you have disagreements of scholars, those, are, those disagreements are permissible when the scholars offer their proofs to one another and are unable to convince one another, but they have offered their proofs, right? Then if there's a disagreement, that is considered a legitimate disagreement, all right? However, if one side has not offered proofs, has not responded to the proofs of the other, then that is not viewed as a legitimate disagreement. It's unfortunate that this is a very, very big problem in American Canada. It's all the more tragedy, let me explain it by spirituality. Halal meat is completely available. I've lived there, right? There are halal meat stores in almost every place where Muslims reside in any significant number. And even if you're in a place where there's not, well, there's always vegetarians everywhere. And they're a living proof. If they can leave the consumption of meat due to their man-made philosophy... Can the Muslim really say it's a necessity and that he can't leave eating meat because of his own carnal desires, literally speaking? <laughs> his own carnivore attributes? So I feel that this is one of the things that a person should be very careful about. And the feeling that Allah Ta'ala has given over and over in the early ayat is eat that which is halal and tayyib. So Allah Ta'ala is calling in terms of what we eat and what we earn. There are three things that a person should really at least try to have taqwa on three things, in what you earn, in what you eat, and in your tahara, in your purity. You should try to earn that which everybody agrees is permissible to earn, eat from that which everybody agrees that is permissible to eat, obtain your tahara and view taharat as that which everybody views to be taharat, and sort of the fourth thing is in your salah, right? You should also be very, be very mutaki about your salah, right? Okay. Next issue that is similar to this, and Allah is not to do with meat, but having to do with the Ahli Kitab, is second, 
وَالْمُحْسَنَاتُ And it means also halal and permissible have made to you those chaste women مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ From the believers, from the believing women. وَالْمُحْسَنَاتُ And the chaste women مِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ From those who were given scripture from before you إِذَا أَتَيْتُمُ هُنَّ أُجُورُهُنَّ When indeed even for them Allah Ta'ala is making clear that even if they're non-Muslim, the laws of Islam still apply to you and you will still have to give them their mahr. So even if a person marries a woman from the Ahl Kitab, he still has to give her a mehr. Alright. Muhsanina. And you should do this, so this is for the men. Muhsanina is mudakkar. And those Muslim men who choose to marry a woman from the Ahl Kitab should do so Muhsanina out of chastity. Ghayra musafihina. Not out of lustful desires. And sometimes it even means not... Some, a strong transition could be prostitution, but it means not from lustful carnal desires. Wala muttaqidi akhdan, and not by taking lovers. Actually, Quran is making it clear here. So you can't do that. If a Muslim man has a Christian woman as his lover and then marries her, Quran is saying that's not what you're supposed to do. If the Muslim man had some illegitimate lust based relationship with a Christian woman and then married her, Quran is saying you're supposed to do that. If out of the chastity, the same chaste and pure way in which he was supposed to find a believing woman, if he finds a Christian and Jew from the same manner, then that is permissible for him to marry her. Alright. This is a permissibility. However, Deen of Islam strongly wants you to do amal on what is preferable. And sometimes in Islamic law, if it was an Islamic state, the Amir and the Qazi has the right in Islam to withdraw the permissible. To withdraw the permissible. The famous example of this is that Sayyidina Huzaifar, he married uh, either a Jew or a Christian, I can't remember at this moment, a woman from the Ahli Kitab. This was in the time when Sayyidina Umar was Amir al-Mu'mineen. He found out, Allahu Akbar. <laughs> oh, he wrote him a letter. He wrote him a letter. And he said, I, don't, I want you to divorce her. He said, because you are Sahaba. And if you do this, then all these Tabin will look at you and they will all continue to marry the Ahlul women from amongst them and it will be dif- difficult for the Mu'minat. Now Sayyidina Umar in instructions were not further wajib. That was his counsel as the Amir. Right? That was his counsel as the Amir. Okay? But some commentators have suggested, jurists have suggested, sometimes the Amir can withdraw something that's permissible. I've used an example before to explain to you that something that is merely permissible doesn't mean that you should do it. Especially when Allah Ta'ala has given, and I did that ayah for you before in Surah An-Nasa, a clear preference that you should marry believing women. So the example I gave you of merely permissible was that if I was to quit everything and start driving a rickshaw, it's permissible. But I don't think anybody would think I should do that. So as strongly as you think one shouldn't do that, is as strongly as the Islamic sentiment is, it's preferred to marry a believing woman. And finally, if there is any fear or danger, that if you marry a woman from the Ahl Kitab, then she will raise your children on her deen, or your future children will be weak in their deen, or maybe not even end up on any deen whatsoever, then that would not be permissible at all. If you have a preponderant view or yakin that that would happen. If you even, for example, I'm saying, why am I saying yakin? Yakin in the sense that you can't foresee the future, but yakin in the sense that the couple say like that. That the woman says, okay, I'll marry you, but we have to let the children decide for themselves. You can't marry like that. That some Muslim man doesn't let his children decide kufr for themselves. That's not what the Deen of Islam teaches us. 
Right? So I'm not saying Yakinah to the outcome, but if the, that's the person's mentality, in that case as well, it won't be permissible to marry a woman from the Ahl Kitab. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Ishara is clear here, that the Ahl Kitab are people who have disbelieved in Iman and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Here the translation is, in that person who repudiates Iman, فَكَبْ habita amaluhu, Then all of their actions will be in vain, will amount to naught. وَهُوَ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ And such a person in the Akhirah will be amongst the losers. So what's the rat? Why is Al-Smanta talking about this right now? Obviously Al-Smanta is giving an ishara. Right? That you may marry her, but if she never accepts Islam, she will amount to nothing in the Akhirah. And that we've already explained to you what the ahkam are of the Ahl Kitab. So why would you want to do that? Because when Islam marriage is a spiritual union, you'd want to marry that woman who can also not just make it to Jannah, ideally you'd want to marry a woman who can be the one who takes you to Jannah. It's a very strong ishara from Allah Subhanahu over here. Alright. يَا أَيُهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا كُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَاكْسِدُوا وَجُوكُمْ وَأَيْدِيُكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ وَأَمْسَهُوا بِرُؤُسِكُمْ وَأَلْجُلُكُمْ إِلَى الْقَعْبَيْنِ That all you believe when you rise and stand with intention to pray your salah, you should wash your faces and you should wash your hands and arms up to and including your elbows and you should wipe over your heads and you should wash your feet up to your ankles. When kuntum junaban, and if you are in a state of major impurity, and that you can understand from the books of fiqh, but every one of you should know what that is, because it's farad upon you at this moment, and from previous time, to know what it means to be junab, fattaharu, then you should intensely purify yourselves, i.e. with a purity that is greater. Remember I told you the shadda comes for intensity of meaning, here's the shadda on the ha, that has come for intensity of meaning, intensely purify yourselves, means you will have to do a method of purification more intense than the one just described, i.e. you will have to do ghusl. Not just do wudu. When kuntum marda, and if you were sick, or Allah suffering, or you were traveling, or ja'ahadum minkum min al-ghaiti, and one of you returns from a call of nature, I returns from relieving oneself, or la mustumun nisa'a, or you have been physically intimate with a woman, falam tajidu ma'an, and you not, do not find water, you don't have, you don't find water, fatayammamu sa'idan tayyiba, that you should make the yammam with a pure earth-like substance, already explained to you earlier, famsahu bi wujuhikum, and the method of doing tayammam is that you are going to wipe your faces, and you are also going to wipe, so the word is in ghusl here, because you don't have a liquid, you're going to wipe your faces, and also wipe your hands and arms up to your elbows, minhu, by using that pure earth-like substance, ma yuridullahu layyaj ala alaykum min haraj, and Allah SWT does not wish to place you in any kind of undue heart, However, what Allah Subhanahu does want is to purify you both outwardly and by means of that inwardly because the outward purification is what prepares you for that worship called Salah which will bring about your inward purification. And Allah Subhanahu wants to completely fulfill His bounty and blessing alaykum upon you. So in the hope that perhaps you may also learn to be thankful, grateful and appreciative of Him. وَذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ And remember the blessings of Allah, the blessing of Allah Subhanahu on you. وَمِثَاقُهُ الَّذِي وَمِثَاقُهُ الَّذِي وَاثَقُكُمْ بِهِ And the pledge and covenant in which Allah Subhanahu took from you Himself. إِذْ كُلْتُمْ سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا And what was that pledge that you said? That you would, you said, quote, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا That we hear and we believe وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And fear Allah subhanahu إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ السُّدُورِ And indeed Allah subhanahu is all-knowing about each and everything that lies in the hearts and that lies in the breasts. Alright. Here are the issues of wudu and tiyamam and ghusl and junub and janabat. You should know all of that as well.
This pledge is the pledge that uh, this pledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you must remember, right? And also remember the pledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took from you. This is known as Baytul Uqba or Baytul Aqaba or Baytul Uqba in the thirteenth year of Hijri uh, thirteenth year after Nabi Akram proclaimed his prophethood. Sayyidina Ubadah ibn Samad radiallahu reports in a hadith, this is in Sahih Muslim, that they gave bayah, the Sahaba Kram gave a bayah to Sayyidina Rasulullah and part of the words of that bayah were sama'na wa ata'na, that we hear and we obey. But the Qur'an claim is addressed to everyone, and so it's saying a more general meaning would be that, O oh, you who believe for all times, remember this covenant that you have chosen to take by pronouncing the kalima and the shahada and becoming the abd of that rab. And what that means is what you, even if none of us may have said this word for word, but taking that pledge and accepting Allah Ta'ala as a Lord is tantamount to saying, what does it mean to be an abd? What does it mean to be a slave and servant? An abd is that human who does this, sami'na wa ata'na, we hear and we obey. Alright? Okay, what taqullah? And thereafter, after you've taken the step, so all of us say it in Quran, you should all remember, we did it for you on the first day, all of you say this, when you say, right? So remember that. What taqullah and fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and always be conscious and aware of Him, lest you ever slacken in that, lest you ever forget that who you are is a human being who has already pledged themselves to listen and obey. So samitna means listen to Quran, Read the seerah, listen to the hadith, understand the sunnah, learn about halal and haram, listen to your own self, listen and see where you are falling into lust and to greed and to anger and to envy. Listen and be aware of all these things. Wa'ata'na and obey and follow the injunctions of Islam on each and every of these aspects. Ya bilqist. O you who believe you should stand upright. Kawameen, you should be upstanding and upright and devoted believers. Lillah, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, shuhada abil kist, you should be witnesses in the embodiment, living witnesses, living testimonials to justice. Number one, it can mean shuhada abil kist, means witnesses to justice, and can also mean you should become living testimonials to justice, you should be the embodiment of equity and fairness and justice itself. وَلَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَاءْنُ قَوْمٍ That don't let any hatred or hostility you have for any particular people, don't let that lead you into what? Allah أَنْ لَا That you become unjust or inequitable or unfair with them. No, اِعْدِلُوا You must be just and be fair. هُوَ أَقْرَبُ taqwa, And that is closer to taqwa. Now what is that saying here, right? What Allah SWT is saying here is that there may be an incident where you feel that you were treated unjustly. There may be some hostility that some group has towards you, enmity that they have towards you. You may feel that one way to respond to their injustice is to treat them in such a way, which actually Allah is saying that would also be that itself would be unjust. The irrespective of how they may treat you, and irrespective of whatever hostility or enmity or malice or spite or hatred that has come between the two of you, you should not let that change how you behave with them in terms of justice and fairness. Right. You should always fear and be aware and conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna Allah khabirun bima ta'amadun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all aware of each and every single thing that you do. Alright? Okay.
That you believe, remember Allah subhanahu special favor and grace and bounty and blessing upon you. That when there was some people, a community that they intended, hamma, it was their full intention and they resolved that what they would do, it literally means that they would extend their hands against you, means they would take some step against you, they were going to act against you. And Allah subhanahu stopped and restrained and withheld their hands, i.e. withheld their capacity and ability to act against you. Allah ta'ala withheld them uncum from you. They were unable to act on you. Wattakullah, and you should fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And indeed on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do the believers have, the true believers, rely and trust on Him entirely. Alright. This incident over here, what is this incident that Allah Ta'ala is saying to remember? This is also another good example. Uh, that clearly Allah Ta'ala is mentioning some incident here. Right? This is another example. I've been showing this and some of you have come for the first time today. So I'll just say it again. There are some things in Quran that you can't even understand without the hadith. There is no sahih or hasan hadith that explains what this incident is. Now on the one hand, a person could say that it's okay. We don't need to know what it is. But clearly there was an incident that took place. Right? So, these are some of the things that you find in the bigger books of tafsir. Alright? Now, there was a person who was from one of the mushrikeen of Makkah Mukarama, and Sayyidina Jabir, the rewayat is from Sayyidina Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This is in the tafsir called Asbab al-Nuzul. So, there was an unbeliever by the name of Ghaurith. And he went to two tribes and offered himself as an assassin. And he said that I can kill Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu So, they asked him, how you do it? And he said, that's my own skill, but I will do it in a way that the Prophet would never anticipate. He will never expect this type of whatever method I'm going to use. All right. So what did he do? He went, went, once went to Sayyidina Rasulullah when Sayyidina Rasulullah's sword was on his lap. Hmm? Sayyidina Rasulullah sitting there and his sword was on his lap. So he went and he said to the Prophet maybe he would spend some time practicing as a monophic Maybe he had ingratiated himself with the community. Maybe he had been a mock believer, right? So he asked the Prophet that he wanted to see the sword. Now the sword was in a sheath, right? What they call scabbard. So the Prophet gave him the sword. So he took the sword out and he unsheathed it, right? And then at that moment he wanted to, once the sword was drawn, he was right there next to the Prophet, he wanted to attack the Prophet. But he saw Sayyidina Rasulullah was just looking at him completely calm and relaxed. So this unnerved him. <laughs> this unnerved When a person has a nafs and they feel that their nafs is triumphant at that moment, but there's no victory apparently, they get unnerved. So Yasub also asked him that, don't you fear me? You have no fear of me and your sword is in my hands. So Sayyidina Rasulullah responded to him that Allah will protect me. Sayyidina Rasulullah responded that Allah will protect me. So the words, the effect that those words had, that that unbeliever just heard those words, he put the sword back in the sheath. <laughs> he heard those words of the Prophet he put the sword back in the sheath, and he handed it back to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. according to this tafsir, this is the occasion in which this verse was revealed. Right? So it means that Allah subhanahu doesn't mean, right, uh, you know, I wouldn't want any one of you to try this necessarily in the battlefield, uh, but... Uh, it means that the Allah's special protection was on the Prophet Right? And there was an early period, in the early period of Islam, 
when really the Prophet and Sahaba, and you don't, you can't appreciate that, and I don't have time to teach you all that sirah, but the Prophet and the early Muslim community were actually very much in that sense, in that sense weak, in the sense they were exposed to attack. They didn't have strength or defenses or fortifications or anything like that. Anything like that. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who preserved that early community. Through a series of asbab that are detailed in the books of Sirah, but it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who preserved that early community all the way up to the incident of Fatimakkah. وَلَكَدْ أَخَذَ اللَّهُ مِثَاكَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took a pledge and a covenant from the Bani Israel. وَبَأَثْنَا مِنْهُمْ مُثْنَا أَشَرَ النَّقِيبَ And indeed then we sent or we created from them uh, 12 chieftains. Alright? So these are the, we did this for you before, uh, the 12 springs of water that came out. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَبَأَثْنَا مِنْهُمْ And we sent from them إِثْنَا أَشَرَ النَّقِيبَ And we sent from them 12 chieftains. Alright. وَقَالَ اللَّهُ إِنِّي مَعَكُمْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is how you dressed the Bani Israel, at this early moment of the Bani Israel, when they were given these 12 chieftains, إِنِّي مَعَكُمْ That indeed I am with you. He gave them the ma'iyat of Allah, but on a condition. لَإِنْ أَكَمْتُمُ salata That you must also regularly and firmly establish yourself on the prayer. وَأَتَيْتُمُ zakata And you should also pay the zakat. Now their salah and zakat may be different. Right? This original Bani Israel, their method of salah was certainly different, and their zakat may or may not have been different. وَآمَنْتُمْ بِرُسُلِهِ Rusul, Rusul is plural here. Rusul, Rusul. That you will believe in all of my prophets. So here Allah Ta'ala is mentioning this in two ways. Number one, because even they didn't agree with it then. Right? They were untrue to this and they killed Anbiya. Came before, it's going to come again. In fact, almost everything we're going to do today, henceforth, is going to be discussions of Judaism and Christianity. And Surah Al-Maidah has a lot of that in it. Okay? Uh, yes, so that you will believe in each and every one of my prophets. Here Allah SWT is saying is that after they paid their salah, they will give zakat, believe in all of the prophets. And that you will assist, you will acknowledge and assist and help means you will become their ummah. That's really what it means. You will acknowledge, assist and help each and every one of them. And you will also lend to Allah SWT a goodly loan. You will give charity in the path of Allah SWT. And Allah SWT will expiate for you all of your sins. And indeed, Allah SWT will surely and certainly, and indeed, if you do all of this, Allah SWT will admit you and cause you to enter into Jannah, and you will dwell therein in gardens underneath which rivers flows. However, that person who disbelieves in Allah Taala after this, after this favor that Allah Taala said, إِنِّي ma'akum. Any one of you who disbelieves after that, then that person has gone astray, a wide going astray from the straight path. Okay. And by means of their breaking and violation of that very covenant. Here Allah SWT says number one, and I've explained this to you before, that the cursing here means that we cast them outside of our mercy. We made them such that they were beyond the reach of the mercy. And we made their hearts hardened. And you did this before hearts hardening in Surah Baqarah. We made their hearts hardening. يُحَرِّفُونَ kalima, And they twist and they pervert and they change the words أَنْمَوَادِئِهِ From their places. وَنَسُوا حَذَّمْ مِمَّا ذُكِّرُوا بِي And 
they forgot a great deal. Hazan means a wafir miqdar. They forgot a great amount. Mimma dhukiru bihi. Literally means from that which was given to them in counsel and nasiha. Means they forgot a lot of their own scripture. Right? وَلَا تَزَالُوا تَتَّعْلِئُوا عَلَى خَائِنَةٍ مِّنْهُمْ إِلَّا كَلِيلٌ مِّنْهُمْ فَافُوا عَنْهُمْ وَاسْفَحْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Here the response is saying is that you say not Rasulullah in the first instance that you say not Rasulullah right? تَتَّلِئُوا You will always be informed وَلَا تَزَالُوا means it will never stop that you will be being informed and be made aware of a خَائِنَة of a treachery and a betrayal and a disloyalty from them, illa kalina minhum, except for a few of them. Fafu anhum. Now Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet but you should forgive them. Wasfa, it means you should overlook them. Normally in Urdu they would say this, darguzar. Right? Inna Allaha yuhibbal muhsineen. And Allah Subhanahu loves those who are of excellent virtue and nobility. So here we got a definition of ahsan. Ahsan means afwa. Right? Ahsan means to forgive and to pardon and to overlook. That is one meaning of Muhsinin. Alright. Even before they break the covenant in the sense that they don't accept the Prophet Sallallahu they previously didn't accept any Isa Islam, and they didn't accept the earlier Anbiya as well either. Now, this hardening of the heart that each and every Nabi that they kept refusing that was what led in their successive hardening of the heart. So much so that then as a community, their hearts were so hardened that as a community, they weren't able to accept Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. Just Qalil, just a few members of that community were blessed by Allah SWT to become amongst the glorious Sahaba Ikram. Here there's a particular type of tahrif that they do, which is altering words from their places. So that means that one thing that has been mentioned before is they hid, they concealed, so they didn't share it with people. Another thing that was mentioned earlier in Surah Bakr was that they deleted words. Here is the third thing being mentioned that they, a third thing that was mentioned earlier was that they change words. And here a fourth thing is being mentioned that they relocate words. They swap words. And that also shows a feature that just like in Quran al-Kareem, it's an important feature where Allah SWT has put what? Clearly that was also an important feature in previous scripture. And therefore just simply taking something and putting it somewhere else is also viewed as an act of tahrif or an act of violation of a sacred scripture. All right. And, and last thing is that Allah Ta'ala's warning saying you can expect lots of treachery and fear from them. And this happened, and I discussed some incidents of that with you earlier, and there are many such incidents in the seerah where the Jews would engage in a treaty with the Prophet but then they would violate, betray, be disloyal, and untrue to that treaty. All right. But nonetheless, right, nonetheless the real part to show you is fa'fu anhum wasfah. Why is this being said? So number one reason is that Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala wanted, this is what is called itmam hujja Allah subhanahu wa wanted to leave every last drop of possible hidayah and mercy available to them. So as long as Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam until Fatih Makkah basically, right, even in Medina Manawra, when Sayyidina Rasulullah maybe at times had the capacity to act, and there were times when Allah subhanahu wa told him not to act. Then later on, eventually, if you know your seerah, then there are going to be these tribes of the Jews of Khyber, which are near Medina Manor, and they will eventually be seized and they will be routed. But there was a, you can call it a muhla, a reprieve that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving them. Right? But it's quite amazing 
Nonetheless, that even if it's for a particular time period, that the Prophet is being told to forgive and overlook such things. And from amongst those people who say about themselves, inna nasara, that we are Christians. An interesting way Allah Ta'ala describes. Allah is not saying that they're Christians. Because nasara comes from nusrat, means actually the one the helpers of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. So Allah Ta'ala is saying then from those who like to refer to themselves and say about themselves, inna nasara. And we also took a pledge from them. Same thing, and they've also forgotten a large amount from that which they were counseled, be he counseled with, and they were admonished with. So what Allah Ta'ala is saying is actually is between them, not amongst them, put it that way. Not, not between Muslims and Christians. Amongst the Christians, Allah Ta'ala is saying that between them, Allah Ta'ala has put a um, adawata, an enmity, and baghda, a bughd, an enmity, hostility, malice and hatred, and that will last until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Fascinating. Right? And there are few ayat like that where Allah actually mentions something on earth that is going to last until the end of time. And this means that Christianity will... Now there's another thing that's going to come later, that kufr is millatun wahid. That's, going, that's a separate issue. Here in terms of they will be in schism. So World War One, that's between Christians, right? World War Two is between Christians. And even before 30 years war, and I can't even remember all the European history, but basically European history was just a history of wars and revolutions. That's their history. There's so many wars and his- revolutions and rebellions and Habsburgs and Falat and Right? And Vikings and Gauls. You go earlier also. Vikings and Goths and Franks and Visigoths and Allahu Alam. Right? And Rome and Roman empires and right within schisms. And you could go take it all the way back to Athens and Sparta. But I don't think Athens and Sparta were actually Christian. That's BC. It's the Binaker sect. Right? <laughs> Allah Santa is saying about the Christians that He has placed amongst them. So this is a fact. In other words, all foreign relations should be understood, not exclusively in light of this ayah, but this ayah has to be there. Because this is a Quranic fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning. Alright? However, you're going to find another very interesting thing later on in Surah Ma'ad that Allah can say about Christians as individuals. But here is one punishment that Allah is inflicting them on this world, that they will have enmity and hostility for one another. Some have also taken this to mean theologically, Certainly one witness said in America is you have a wide range of theological sects. Now I don't feel that many of them had necessarily hatred for one another, but certainly some of them. Some of them definitely had a bughuth or a spite, a feeling of spite towards one another. In the term they use for this in Christian denominations. All right. And soon, surely soon, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inform them about all the things that they were doing. That's referring to the Day of Judgment is coming soon, and all of their machinations and plottings and connivings and all of their disloyalties or whatever will all be made clear to them. Ya Ahlul Kitab. Here Allah ta'ala now, not third person, second person, Mukhatib addressing the Ahlul Kitab. That indeed, has come to you, O Ahl Kitab, my messenger, the royal way, Rasulullah, our messenger, meaning Sayyidina Rasulullah, he sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah Ta'ala is making it clear to them, this is mine. And if you want to be mine, that you have to accept him. يُبَيِّنُ لَكُمْ كَثِيرًا مِمَّا كُنْتُمْ تُخْفُونَ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ And he's openly explaining and making manifest to you a lot of that which you up till now have been hiding from the book, or it can also mean earlier what they had forgotten. 
وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٌ كَجَاءَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ نُورٌ وَكِتَابٌ مُبِينٌ Okay, this aspect of nur also I mentioned with you uh, yesterday. In what sense Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam is to be understood as a nur? Here Kitabun Mubin is clearly mentioned that that is the Qur'an al-Kareem. Alright? وَيَعْفُوا uh, kathirin, And he pardons a lot of what you do. So actually this is showing that Sayyidina Rasulullah followed that command of Allah Ta'fa'fu on whom that the Prophet is doing that. And the Ahli Kitab also could tell that we are doing things that any other leader in the world would reprimand us for this, would attack us for this, would be upset with us for this. And he keeps pardoning us, and he keeps inviting us, and he keeps making treaties with us. So Allah Ta'ala is showing them emotionally, right? Uh, and he's doing this on the basis of my, meaning Allah Ta'ala's instructions. Yahdi bihi Allahu man ridwanahu salam. That that person who... Uh, who's seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide such a person to subul salam to the many, many, many paths of salam, to the many, many paths of peace. وَيُخْرِجُهُمْ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُورِ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take all such people out from the darknesses of sin and oppression into nur of itaat and ibad bi'idhnihi according to the will and decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَيَهْدِيهِمْ إِلَى سِرَاطِ مُسْتَقِيمِ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide such people to the sirat al-mustaqim. This ayah establishes clearly that these nasara from the Ahlul Kitab who are, are people who are supposed to accept deen of Islam. They're also recipients, potential recipients of the hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when Allah ta'ala does that, وَيَهْدِهِمْ إِلَى صِرَاطِ mustaqim, It means by guiding them to the straight path that they will be enabled to become Muslims. Alright? So this is clear that the Qur'anic message to Christianity is become Muslim. The Qur'anic message to Christianity is not that Christianity is also a valid religion and you're perfectly fine. No. Alright? Okay. لَقَدْ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا but indeed, those who say, Inna Allah huwa al-Masihu ibn Maryam. This is like you said before, Jirki. Hmm? Allah Ta'ala is saying that indeed, those who say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Masih ibn Maryam, they say that Jesus is God. They ascribe any level of divinity to Jesus. Lakad kafara. They are disbelievers. They are a category called kuffar. Right? Okay. Kul. فَمَنْ يَمْلِكُ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا in arada, this is one of the most intense eyes of Quran. Kul, فَمَنْ يَمْلِكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا In arada, أَنْ يُحْلِكَ الْمَسِيحَ بْنَ مَرْيَمَ وَأُمَّهُ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا Allahu Akbar Kameer. Ajeeb. Allah shan here. Allah Ta'ala is saying, Kul, say to them, my beloved Messenger, فَمَنْ who is there? يَمْلُكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا Who can stop Allah Ta'ala from everything, who has any dominion or possession over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in arada, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the decision, أَنْ يُحْلِكَ That He will make halak, He will destroy Masih ibn Maryam. وَأُمَّهُ And remember how beautifully Allah Ta'ala spoke about Sayyidatul Maryam But when Allah Ta'ala comes in His jalal, He's saying that you people, you think He's the Son of God? Allah is the name of that being who can wipe Him off, wipe His mother off, wipe all of humanity off from the face of this earth. Allahu Akbar Kameera. Ajeeb. This is Al-Aziz, Al-Jambar, Al-Mutakabbir, Dul-Jalali, Al-Kram. Allahu Akbar. Waman fil ardi jami'a. Allah is saying that being Allah is not something that even Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam can be mistaken to be in the slightest of sense. Allah tells that being is so powerful, so mustaghni, so self-sufficient, so independent. He can wipe off Isa alayhi salam. It's obviously a matter of speech, right? It's a figure of speech. 
But Allah Ta'ala is showing His shan here. Allahu Akbar. So sad, actually I feel bad, that because of the Christians, Sayyidina Isa Islam, you know, we'll have to listen to this ayah, and then Jannah, right? Allahu Akbar. Right? وَلِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ To Allah and Allah SWT alone belongs the dominion of sovereignty of all that lies above and all that is on this earth. وَمَا بَيْنُهُمَا And all that is between the two. يَخْلُكُ مَا And Allah SWT creates what He wants, how He wants. وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ كَدِيرٍ And Allah SWT is all-powerful over everything. So the يَخْلُكُ مَا The rabt here is that Sayyidina Isa Islam. Yes, it's a wondrous creation. That Allah Ta'ala created him without a father. But Allah created his creation as makhluk, it's not khaliq. And Allah Ta'ala creates whatever he wants, however he wants. And Allah Ta'ala is all powerful over everything. Did you think, that, and this is the suggestion, and Allah Khualam, but the suggestion here is that one of the origins of the Christian belief is they thought that Allah Ta'ala couldn't actually create a human being without a father. So that means this must actually be God himself. Right? And, or in other words, the only way this could happen is if this was a God Himself. No, Allah Ta'ala is saying Allah is powerful over everything. Him creating a person without a father doesn't mean that that person now needs to be ascribed divinity in any way. So now both of them, both now the Jews and the Christians say, نَحْنُ أَبْنَاءُ اللَّهِ وَأَحِبَّاؤُهُ That we are the sons, the children of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَأَحِبَّاؤُهُ And we are beloveds. Call, say to them, my beloved Messenger, Then why is it that you will be punished? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish you by means of your sins. But in fact, know that you are just humans. You're humans. You're not sons, children of Allah. You're not beloved of Allah. You are Bashar. You are humans. What type of humans? Mimman khalaq. Humans from that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. يَغْفِرُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيُؤَذِّبُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ And Allah SWT will forgive, for his, forgive His forgiveness is for whomsoever He wishes. And Allah SWT will punish and inflict His punishment on whomsoever He wishes. وَلِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ So here, the shaan here is Allah SWT obviously. Elsewhere we've explained that He punishes who He wishes. He has expressed His wish in Quran. Who is it that He's going to forgive? And what is the process for that? And who is He going to punish it? Who is He going to punish and who earns that punishment? But here, the tenor here is a little bit different. Here Allah Ta'ala is saying that you think, you're the, you think you have some guarantee that you're the children of Allah. Allah Ta'ala can forgive whoever He wants and He can punish whoever He wants. There's no special nisbat that you have. There's no favored status that you have that would somehow take you out from this or somehow secure you from Allah Ta'ala's doing as He pleases. But what pleases Him is to do as He decrees and that's how, and He's described in Qur'an. And again, I explained to you yesterday why this comes over and over again. Right? Same reason it came over and over yesterday, same reason coming over and over again today. And two, Allah SWT alone belongs to dominion, sovereignty, ownership, possession, and mastery over all that lies above and all that lies on this earth. All that is between the two. And to Allah SWT alone is the ultimate return, the ultimate destination, the ultimate destination. All right. Anything to be said here? Ya Ahlul Kitabi, O people of the book, Kan Ja Akum Rasuluna, same thing. There's quite a bit of repetition in this Ramayad as well. 
that indeed has come to you my our our prophet and messenger yubayyinu lakum ala fatratin min ar-rusul an taqulu ma ja'ana min bashirin min bashirin wa nadhir faqad ja'akum bashirun wa nadhir wallahu ala kulli shay'in qadir okay here what happened was is that Allah was saying that indeed we have sent our messenger to you and he is coming to you at such a time let's put it that way Alafatratin at such a time, at such a moment, at such a stage in the history or development of humanity. Right? And what is that that Alafatratin min al-Rusul that now there has been a gap? There have not been successive Anbiya. There hasn't been any Nabi since Sayyidina Isa Islam. So he's coming to you after a large gap of prophets. That's the more idiomatic transition to put in this. Antakulu and you were saying, what were they saying? So they had been waiting for a prophet. They were saying, Maja anamim bashiru wa nadir, that there has not come to us, so that, uh, so, sorry, he has come to you so that you don't, you are not able to say, it's ma nafiyah, that you are not able to say, Maja ana, that has not come to us, min bashiru wa nadir, no bringer of glad tidings, and no warner and admonisher to come to us. And we did this before, this comes as also a type of itmami hujjat, so that Allah Ta'ala sends prophets to community so they cannot say that they weren't given any guidance. فَكَدْ جَاءُكُمْ بَشِيرٌ وَنَذِيرٌ And indeed He has come to you as precisely that, but precisely what you had wanted, He has come to you precisely as a bearer of glad tidings, and as a warner and admonisher. Indeed Allah SWT is all-powerful over each and every thing. Alright. This is referring to a special thing, and I've discussed it to you before, that on the one hand, some people say between Sayyidina Adam Islam and Nuh Islam. And on the other hand, between Sayyidina Isa and Sayyidina Rasulullah these were the only two gaps. Otherwise, there was a continual succession of Anbiya coming to people, whether they may be in the same community, different community, sometimes even multiple Anbiya present at a particular time. Right? So these are two important stages in human history in terms of the absence of a continual succession of Prophets. And obviously, after Sayyidina Rasulullah was Khatam al Nabiyin wal Mursaleen, the last and final messenger and prophet in every single sense, right, then this end of the prophets will continue. Alright. Now, another interesting thing is that me and you know, in terms of the dating that we use, 600 AD, right? So we say that one Hijri is 600 something, I can't remember exactly now, but we know that we say, based on our study of history, that Sayyidina Rasulullah came 600 years, right? After Sayyidina Islam. It comes in Hadith in Bukhari that Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi said exactly the same thing. That when the Prophet came, he said that you will come 600 years after Sayyidina Islam. Right? Okay. Okay, now we're going to return to some of the events of Sayyidina Musa Islam, but almost all of these we have already commented on when they came earlier in Surah Baqarah. <coughs> when Sayyidina Musa Islam his community, Ya they know my community, you should remember and reflect and act accordingly on the basis of that remembrance. Remember the blessing and bounty of Allah Subhanahu upon you. When Allah Subhanahu wa made many, many prophets from amongst you. And when Allah Subhanahu wa sent angels to you. Oh, sorry, Allah Subhanahu wa made you kings. And Allah Subhanahu wa gave you kingship and dominion over this world. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you kingship and dominion over this world. Now some of those prophets were kings and some of the non-prophets were kings. Alright. وَأَتَاكُمْ مَا لَمْ يُؤْتِي أَحَدًا مِّنَ الْعَالَمِينَ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon you that which prior to you <coughs> Allah ta'ala had not bestowed on anyone any one community or any one person min al alamin. That's amazing. It's good to say min al min al nas, min al alamin from any and all of the worlds. Allah subhanahu wa taala sent. He bestowed upon you. Allah taala knows best what that is. But there is a notion, and it came before the Quran. And I told it to you there that they were. Allah taala does say fadilna that we did give you a fadila. We did give you a status. You were chosen. You were preferred in a certain way, right? But Allah Ta'ala is reminding them of that now in Qur'an so that they are humbled by the fact that they were chosen earlier and they turn to Allah Ta'ala in sincere belief. That, O my community, enter that land which is sacred and holy land, that which Allah Ta'ala has allotted for you. And do not spurn and turn back Literally it means that do not turn back on your, don't turn back on your backs, right? But you can, adbar is back, but it means don't turn back, turn back on your heels. Fatan kalibu khasirin, because were you to do so, then you would turn back as losers. This is that incident that we explained to you before, that they have been wandering and they were told to enter the Bab of that city, and they were supposed to do jihad against the people living there, and they didn't, and then were made to wander 40 years. That whole incident is coming again. Qalu ya Musa, so they said, the Sayyidina Musa, inna fiha qawman jabbareen. In that sacred land, which Allah Ta'ala wants us to enter, is a group, qawman jabbareen, is a very strong, military, powerful community. Alright. Wa inna, this is also a sign, I told you sometimes, that some of the small husna are used for gherullah, jabbar is one of them. Right? So, not that we would suggest anybody should keep their name as Jabbar, but the rule that we told you is those names that have been used for Gherullah can be kept without Abd or Fazl or Inayat, right? Something, something attached to it, right? وَإِنَّا لَن نَدْخُلَهَا حَتَّى يَخْرُجُوا مِنْهَا We are not going to attempt to enter that place until that community, military strong community, leaves it themselves. فَإِنْ يَخْرُجُوا مِنْهَا فَإِنَّ دَاخِلُونَ That if they leave it, then indeed we will be the ones who enter it. قَالَ رَجُلَانِ مِنَ الَّذِينَ يُخَافُونَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمَ دْخُلُوا عَلَيْهِمُ الْبَابِ فَإِذَا دَخَلْتُمُهُ فَإِنَّكُمْ غَالِبُونَ وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَتَوَكَّلُوا إِنْ كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ So this is that two of them, two of them, and these two are being described as what in Quran? Yakhafun. These were two who feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many of the whole community of Musa alayhi salam? Two. Two. Two of them who feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. An'amallahu alayhima. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had graced him, sent his special grace upon them. Meaning this fear that they had for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the fuzzle and karam and tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Okay. So what did these two say? These to say, Udkhulu alayhimul bab. They commanded their fellows that we should enter upon them, means we should enter that door. We should go and enter on them by means of that door. And they said that when you enter from that bab, remember that bab where Allah said to enter that bab, sujjadan, we did that earlier. If you enter that bab the way Allah Ta'ala wants you to enter that bab, the, 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 the ayah, you will indeed be what? Ghalibun, you will be successful. 
you will be triumphant, you will be victorious, you will be dominant. Wallahi fatawakkalu in kuntum mu'minin. And upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone you should trust if indeed you are believers. Alright. Qalu, so after these two proper, fearful, Allah fearing members of Sayyidina Muslim's community tried to rile up the rest of the community, and Allah ta'ala had seemed to have given them the insight as to the strategy Allah ta'ala had in mind for them to be triumphant. Qalu, they all didn't even address those two, they all responded back to their nabi. They talked to their nabi this way, Ya Musa, inna landad khulaha abada. Allahu Akbar. That indeed we will never, never, ever enter that, ever. Madamu fiha, as long as those people remain in it. Fadhab anta wa rabbuka, tusija wa tuadi rabja. That's the translation. Allah, that's how they're talking to their prophet. Fadhab anta, that you go. وَرَبُّكَ And your Rabb, you go. فَقَاتِلَا And the two of you, you go fight them. Allahu Akbar. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Sahaba telling the Prophet ﷺ, they said, Brother, huh? can you imagine that? Your eyes would pop out of your head. If even one Sahaba said that. And here all but two Sahaba are saying it. Really, just like I say, we feel sad for saying, we feel sad for saying the Musa is as well. Allahu Akbar. That, that he was talked to like this. Hmm? Don't get jazbati, but this is blasphemy. <laughs> Alright? Real live blasphemy going on with the Prophet. Alright? فَذْهَبْ أَنْتَ وَرَبُّكَ فَقَاتِلَا إِنَّا هَا هُنَا قَائِدُونَ And Hamid Ali Baiting it. That's what it means. إِنَّا هَا هُنَا And we are going to sit pretty right here. We're going to sit pat. We're going to sit pat right here. Allahu Akbar Kamila. قَالَ رَبِّ إِنِّي لَا Now this... Basically, Sayyidina Musa is on bibas He couldn't handle the statement. He couldn't handle the statement. He was so hurt by it. He was exasperated by it. Right? So what did he do? He's the Nabi of Allah. He turned to Allah SWT. All. That means Sayyidina Musa Islam said, Rabbi, O oh my Rabb, inni, that indeed I la amluku illa nafsi wa akhi. I have no control, no leadership over anything other than my own self and my brother, which is Sayyidina Harun Islam. Alright? Okay. فَفْرُقْ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَ الْقَوْمِ الْفَاسِقِينَ How sad, I mean, what type of community is it that your Nabi calls you? Hey, Fasikin, that the Nabi that was sent to you is so exasperated that that Nabi begs Allah Ta'ala to separate him from you. Allah, that's how far they let matters go. So it means, فَفْرُقْ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَ الْقَوْمِ That Allah Ta'ala separate me. Put a separation between me, between us, me and Sayyidina Islam, and between this community, and what is that qawm? Qawm al-fasikeen, between these sinful transgressors. Alright. Qala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds, فَإِنَّهَا مُحَرْمَةٌ عَلَيْهِمْ أَرْبَئِينَ sana. So the response is, unfortunately for Sayyidina Islam, you won't be separated from them. Just this land will be prohibited them for 40 years, and they will have to wander for 40 years, and you're going to have to keep wandering around with them. You're stuck with them. Ajeeb. With the anmiya. Right? The response is not. <laughs> according to the dua. The response is, you are still with them. The only thing is that they will be separated from that land. Allah Akbar. What would have fallen on his heart at that moment? Huh? Allah Akbar. means that, that out of the muqaddasa that came. Right? That sacred land is haram on them for 40 years. So that I explained to you, this is their history. This is the glorious history and right to Israel that they claim now by killing Palestinian lives. This is their history. Alright? Okay. Yatihuna fil ard. 
they're going to roam. They're going to roam and travel and wander the land in a state of bewilderment. فَلَا تَعْسَ عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْفَاسِقِينَ And don't grieve. لَا تَعْسَ يَأْسُ Do not despair, don't be sad, right? Don't despair, be sad over الْقَوْمِ الْفَاسِقِينَ Over this community of sinful transgressors. بَطْنُ عَلَيْهِمْ بَطْنُ عَلَيْهِمْ نَبَا أَبْنَيْ آدَمَ بِالْحَقِّ Alright, now comes yet another story. Now Allah Ta'ala is telling Sayyidina Rasulullah that you should recite to the people. This whole incident of Sayyidina Rasulullah we covered that in detail in Surah Baqarah. Alright, here Allah Ta'ala is telling Sayyidina Rasulullah what lo recite to them, alayhim to them means all of the people. The story, Naba'a, the story of the two children, the two sons of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam bilhaq, and you recite it to them with absolute truth and veracity. This is that famous story which in biblical linguistics called the story of Cain and Abel. Right? And this is the story of the two sons of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. What's going to happen? One of them is going to indeed kill the other. Alright? Again, this is another tragedy. Right? That they are sons of a prophet. They are two sons of a prophet. Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam is so imagine how sad it would be for a Nabi that he, two of his sons kill one another. And then the mention of that crime is in the eternal, pre-eternal Qur'an al-Kareem, the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So really that's why you really feel the shan of Sahaba. That the Sahaba is that community that alhamdulillah, they are so true and so wonderful. And such a, you know, you say, coolness of the eyes of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam that the Qur'an is only and only full of praise for them and mentioning Allah's love and pleasure for them. Unique community in the history of prophets, let alone in the history of humanity. Alright. Okay, so, recite to them the story of the two sons of Sayyidina Okay. إِذْ قَرَّبَا قُرْبَانًا فَتُقُبِّلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمَا وَلَمْ يُتَكَمْبَلْ مِنَ الْآخَرِ This it means that when the two of them offered a sacrificial animal as sacrifice, it was accepted from one of the two and it was not accepted from the other. قَالَ So that one, uh, from whom it was not accepted, that one from whom was not accepted, what did he say to the other one from whom it was accepted? لَأَكْتُلَنَّكَ I'm going to kill you. Let me translate, then I'm going to explain to you this whole story that goes beyond this. قَالَ إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَلُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ So he said, indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts only and only from the people of taqwa. Right? Now this also is a universal statement. This we have given a whole lecture on this topic. Right? إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَلُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ That Allah ta'ala only and only accepts, bestows His kubudiyah, His grace of acceptance on those acts that the people of taqwa do. Now what does this mean? Kubuliyah is something different from success. A non-muttiki person may do something successfully. A non-muttiki person may write something, teach something successfully. But whether it's accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that kubuliyah, that's called kubuliyah. When Allah ta'ala graces it with His acceptance, that's only done for the sake of muttiki. So this is a problem that a lot of sometimes Muslims have, is that they become fooled by their own apparent success, even in religious matters. And especially sometimes in religious learning, right? But that has nothing to do with success, proficiency, eloquence, or just has nothing to do with kubuliyah. Whether all of that is accepted by Allah on the day of judgment, will be based on a person's taqwa. That's why in our tradition we've always been taught and we teach others that you must follow the scholarly positions of muttaqi ulama. Muttaqi ulama. 
And if somebody has an idea who's not muttaqi, that is not going to be kabul. And it won't have barakah in it. No matter how fanciful and how wonderful and how rational and philosophical and lovely and well thought out and hermeneutically based you think that idea may be. It's not coming from the muttaqin. That's our deen. Alright? إِنَّمَا يَتَكَمَّلُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ لَإِنْ بَسَتَّ إِلَيَّ يَدَكَ So if you extend your hand to me, means if you reach out to kill me. Right? He's, again, he's talking to his brother. Right? If you do that. لَتَقْتُلَنِي You will kill me. You will kill me. But me, مَا أَنَا بِبَاسِتٍ يَدِيَا إِلَيْكَ But I am not going to retaliate or try to even defend myself. I'm not going to extend my hand to kill you. Uh, for the, I'm not going to extend my hand towards you. لَأَقْتُلَكَ So that I may kill you. Why? إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهَ رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ Because I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala الْعَالَمِينَ Therefore I'm not going to try to murder you. Alright. إِنِّي أُرِيدُ أَن تَبُوءَ بِإِثْمِي وَإِثْمِكَ فَتَكُونَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّارِ وَذَلَكَ جَزَاءُ الظَّالِمِينَ Alright. He says, I would rather that you, what's going to happen if that person kills him, any urid is that I would rather, my rather is that أَنْتَبُوءَ بِإِثْمِي وَإِثْمِكَ That you will end up taking on my sins and your sins. فَتَكُونَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّارِ And you will end up from the from one of the companions and friends of the hellfire. وَذَلَكَ جَزَاءُ الظَّالِمِينَ And this is indeed the consequence and the punishment that will be meted out to those who are unjust oppressors and transgressors. Okay. Alright. Now what happens for the other one? Now going back to the next azabat of them. فَتَعَوَّتْ فَتَوَّعَتْ فَتَوَّعَتْ لَهُ نَفْسُهُ كَتْلَ أَخِيهِ فَتَوَّعَتْ means and his nafs, his nafs, and this he means nafs now. His nafs was overbearing, his nafs incited him, his nafs incited him I would say, his nafs incited him, enraged him, spurred him to what act? Katla akhihi to actually kill his brother, فَقَتَلَهُ and so he killed him. So the conversation took place and then the other one, he killed him. فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ It literally means that he woke up in the morning as amongst the rulers, uh, amongst the losers, but what it means that فَأَصْبَحَ means that he became. He immediately became, he immediately became one of the losers. فَبَعْثَ اللَّهُ غُرَابًا يَبْحَثُ فِي الْأَرْضِ لِيُرِيَهُ كَيْفَ يُوَارِي سُوْأَتَ سُوْأَتَ أَخِيهِ قَالَ يَا وَيْلَتَ أَعْجَزْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ مِثْلَ هَذَا هَذَا الْغُرَابِ فَأُوَارِيَ سُوْأَتَ أَخِيهِ فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ النَّادِمِينَ Alright, so now he actually is going to he doesn't say Tawbah, Manadi means that he's going to be one of the remorseful ones. Right? He's going to feel remorse. So what happens? So first happens that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a type of bird. You may translate it as hawk, raven, crow maybe. Right? Okay? And what happens is, what did this bird do? Yabhathu fil ard. So it started digging up. Digging up in the earth. This is the rites of burial being taught to insan due to the actually act, act, act of a murder. And this means then, this is teaching us that the first human being who died was not of natural causes. The first death that occurred in the entire history of humanity was a murder. And the murder by one son of a Nabi, 
murdered by another son of a Nabi. Allahu Akbar. So for that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to send a glorious ayah on Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam that revealed to you all your rights of burial. For because of that, Allah ta'ala is going to send a bird like that and the bird is going to start scraping into the ground. So that it could, the bird could show him, the murderer, that brother who murdered, right? So that he could show him how to, Yuwari uh, means how to hide or conceal or submit uh, the body or the corpse of his brother. Call. Now when he realized, right, and this shows also human emotion, that something happens to the human being at the time of burial. This is why women are never allowed at the graveyard at the time of burial. Whether allowed otherwise or not could be a discussion, but there's no way any scholar has ever and will ever allow a woman to go there at the time of burial. And in fact, if my own observation in Pakistani society, the amount that the men may cry at the time of burial is infinitely less than the way the women cry just when the <laughs> right? So if that's their condition and just picking it up, I can only imagine what would be their condition if when it was lowered into the ground. So this is a good, a good example. I missed this. This was a great example of gender differences that I could have done for you. And on Nisam, we were talking about that real established gender differences in terms of emotive, uh, in terms of emotions and emotive self. So here, so he felt this. He felt sad, right? And he was, just to anakuna mitla hadal ghurab. And he felt that, okay, look, that I wish that I could be, I could, woe to me that I could not be like this crow or this raven and conceal the body of my brother. So what happened then? So then he became amongst the people of remorse. Understood, right, that uh, one can understand from here that when he did nadma, he ended up making tawbah because Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith, a nadma, a nadma tawbatun. That simply having remorse and regret is tantamount to tawbah, is tantamount to repentance, and then earns the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, now what was this story? Alright, what was this story? So first thing is that clearly the Quran is mentioning that these are the sons of Sayyidina Adam islam So, And that's literally, his literal biological sons of Sayyidina Adam islam Alright, what happened? So there was a son whose name was Qabil. Right? And... There was another son that was born later on, so the younger son, his name was Habil. Alright. Now, there was a daughter that was also, Sayyidina Adam had daughters, and earlier we did for the Hadith that he had 20 sons and 20 daughters. So at that time, mm, sons and daughters could marry one another. Uh, sons and daughters. Yes, yeah, sons and daughters. Brothers and sisters, in, which, which today we call incest, was permissible as a necessity. Understand how it's a necessity? But, in Ibn Kathir, he has mentioned an interesting thing in his tafsir, and he's quoted several narrations, both from Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas and Sayyidina Abdullah Masudullah, that there was another feature, that Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam and Amahawah, whenever they used to give birth, they used to give birth to twins, but a boy and a girl twin. Right? And so 20 such births led to 20 brothers and sisters. So although brothers could marry sisters, right, it was not permissible that you couldn't marry your twin sister. That was one restriction. Alright, okay. Now it happens to Qabil and Habil, these two are born. There's one girl who was born with Qabil, to Qabil's twin sister. And then there's another girl who's born with 
his twin sister. All right. Now what happened? Now according to the rule, because they can't marry their own twin sister, they have to marry the other one. Okay. Now Qabil's twin sister happened to be more beautiful than Habil's twin sister. Are you following this? I, you know, okay. So Qabil has to marry Habil's twin sister. But she's uglier than his own twin sister. So who did he rather want to marry? His own twin sister. And what was the reason he wanted to marry her? Beauty. This also shows that this failure in man to be attracted exclusively to a woman's beauty is something that goes way, 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 way back. Alright? And resulted in the first death and the first murder. Right? Allah Akbar. So it shows that a man, right, should, that's why deen has some mercy on it, that it tells a man to lower his case. Alright. So, so when Sayyidina Adam decided according to his sharia, right, Sayyidina Adam decided according to his sharia that Gabriel would not marry, not get to marry his own twin sister who was pretty, but the other brother Habil gets to marry his twin sister, because that's who can marry. So Gabriel refused to accept it. So there's an argument. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed them to Sayyidina Adam that the way we will resolve this is that each of them will present a sacrifice to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the setup was that they would place the sacrifice into fire. Now, those of you who are fond of anthropology, this is your primitive religion, right? It's your primitive religion, Agya. And there's this notion of animal sacrifice. Actually, it's not primitive religion. When Quran teaches us that this act of worship sometimes called Uthiya, sometimes called Hadiya, sometimes called Tadhkiya, right? This is a way of act, this is an act of worship that Allah Ta'ala has decreed from the very first generation of humanity, which is the time of Sayyidina Adam So in all likelihood, based on what I had mentioned to you yesterday also, that many times Allah Subhanahu sent all of these prophets and later people distorted those prophets' teachings. So earlier prophets would most likely have also come with this notion of animal sacrifice, right? And then when those communities deviated from those prophetic religions and maybe then formed all types of other religions, right? Including, I can't even remember what the word is for that. Okay, mm. it's one of the words they use for the type of primitive religions. And one feature that was a leftover was this notion of animal sacrifice. All right? Okay. So here, so they both made the sacrifice, and this sacrifice, uh, who's, and, and, and Sayyidina Al-Islam said that whoever sacrifices accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and in one book of the Sirah that's mentioned that they would place that sacrifice into the fire. Another says that if a fire would come down from above and consume it. Either way, whosoever sacrifice was accepted, that would be the brother who was chosen to marry that girl. And sure enough it was, Habil's sacrifice was accepted because and he is the brother who was supposed to marry anyway. So Kabil was infuriated at that moment and then he said all these things and then he killed his brother. Right? So which means now, right, that he knows that Allah Ta'ala has decided and his father and Prophet have this. They gave him a chance, right? They said, okay, this is the law, but okay, we'll go through a procedure. Just we'll give you a chance, right? So it means in that heat of desiring this pretty woman, Willing to murder own brother, willing to disobey father, willing to disobey father, oh, willing to disobey prophet, 
and willing to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in light of a clear command by this miracle process of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of this due to what? And now I'm going to even say to you, for not that a woman was pretty, that one was prettier than the other. It's not even beauty itself. It's the relative prettierness of the sister of Qabil versus the sister of Habil. Allahu Akbar. Right? It doesn't mean that Sa Sahib Apni Rasta Nakal De Isiliyam Kate Kimarli Vitikli Khuzurud Larkiti Arkara. Huh? You listening or no? No? So maybe they'll listen one day in life. Hmm? All right. So that was that whole story. Okay? So the lesson in that story. Alright? So again it shows you that none of this is in Quran, right? Everything I just you didn't get the details in Quran. Now Allah Ta'ala sent you Quran. Allah Ta'ala wants you to be guided from Quran. And especially this part which I told you, this is really the hidayah in this, right? Is that it was over a woman. And that's not mentioned over here. So it means that Allah Ta'ala has sent down hidayah that is something other than Quran. And that is called the sunnah. And that is contained in the hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Alright? Okay. Alright. Let's now move on after this. Min ajzidalika literally means in due to this. So let me give you a break. It's time for your break. Yes. We'll take a break and then we'll resume. Inshallah. So we're here through the Maida Surah number 5, verse number 32. No water break. Don't forget it's from Madan Hasanayo. Adi Bange. Go for the water break. <laughs> if you had happens, by the way, if you eat or drink accidentally, it's, your fast is valid and you just keep fasting. You just roll right through it. Alright? Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So again, we're in Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah number 5. Verse number 33. That that person who kills someone not in recompense for that person killing someone, O fasadin, and not in recompense for that person doing fasad fil ard on this earth, then indeed it is tantamount and as if they killed all of humanity. So this I suggest saying that there are only two places in which Allah subhanahu had sanctioned capital punishment. Number one is for murder. First degree murder. And second is for something called fasad fil ard. Fasad fil ard means spreading some type of sedition on earth. It can mean many, many things, right? And it's a bit of a discretionary issue. Up to the jurist, the qazi, the mufti, and the amir, what may constitute this fasad fil ard. But it may mean many, many things. Other than that, anybody who killed anyone, Allah Ta'ala says it is as if they've killed all of humanity. 
And this is because human life is so sacred that when you take one life, you have violated humanity itself. So it means preservation of life and safety and security is one of the principal features of humanity. Similarly, in the opposite way, وَمَنْ أَحْيَاهَا فَكَأَنَّمَا النَّاسَ And that person who preserves... Ahya literally means brings to life a life. But it means that maintain... Ahya means for baqa al-haya. It means a person who maintains somebody alive, i.e. somebody who saves a life or preserves a life. فَكَأَنَّمَا النَّاسَ means as if he has preserved the life of humanity. Alright. This ayah is understood not to be just a command for the Bani Israel, whether they follow it or not, that may come. But this is a teaching of Islam as well. Alright. And indeed came to them, the Bani Israel, many, many of our prophets with clear and manifest signs. But even notwithstanding that, after that, there, after that, many, many of them became people of Israf people of excessive, trans- went to excesses, which means they transgressed the limits and boundaries placed upon them by Allah SWT. إِنَّمَا جَزَاءُ الَّذِينَ يُحَارِبُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَسْعَوْنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَسَادًا أَنْ يُكَتَّلُوا أَوْ يُسَلَّبُوا أَوْ تَقَتَّعَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَأَرْجُلُهُمْ مِنْ خِلَافٍ أَوْ يُنْفَوْ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ All right. This is referring to a particular crime. Yuharibun Allah wa Rasulullah literally means in those people. In the Majazah, indeed the consequence and punishment that will be meted out to those who literally it means wage war against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and against His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And they strive to spread fasad and sedition and discord and disunity uh, on this earth. What should be their punishment? Four things are mentioned. Number one, ayin yukattalu, they should be killed. Oh, or yusallabu, they should be crucified. Or tukatta'a aidihim, tukatta'a aidihim wa arjulihim min khilaf, that their hands and feet should be cut off from opposite sides. So meaning cut off their right hand and left foot or something, or the other way around. Oh, yunfaw min al-ard, or they should be banished from earth. Those of you who ever took any of our classes, you would remember this yunfaw min al-ard was an example we gave you. Alright? And banished from the earth. And any one of those punishments is simply uh, just their khizyun, is their abasement, is their punishment, their abasement and degradation in this world, and they will have an immense punishment in the akhirah. Except those who make tawbah prior to this, so to suggest that a person may make tawbah after the crime but before the punishment. Alright? Antakduru alayhim. Alright, let me explain it before you. Takduru uh, alayhim literally means before you overwhelm them, but it means before you inflict the punishment on them due to your administrative or judicial power. Alright? So, some of the jurists have also suggested that a person who is guilty of any of these crimes or even other crimes should be given some period in jail in which they may go through some type of moral or re education or spiritual re-education, and perhaps they may make tawbah, because if they make tawbah, <coughs> before you inflict the punishment on them, uh, then their tawbah will save them from that worldly punishment. Others have said that the tawbah won't save them from the worldly punishment, but the illadhin tabu is referred to the second part, fil azab So either way they're going to get the worldly punishment, 
But if they make tawbah, they will be saved from the punishment in the akhirah. Alright? And obviously they'll have to make tawbah before you overwhelm them because otherwise they, especially in the case of killing and crucifixion, they will no longer be alive. What's the occasion of fa'alimu rahim? But you should know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving, all merciful. Alright. There's a very intense hadith, it's mentioned in the narrated by Imam Bukhari in his Sahih as well as Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, on both of them in his Sahih. And that is as follows, is that <coughs> there were some people, mentioned as eight people in the cities from the tribe of the Bani Uqal and Bani Urayna. And they came to say, and at least they pretended that they were Muslim. And they took the bear at the hands of the Prophet as well. And they started living in Medina Manawara. But the climate of Medina Manawara did not suit them. So the Prophet told them that, okay, that we sometimes people give camels as part of their zakat. And so we, there is a group of people, you can say sort of nomadic Bedouins were living outside on the outskirts or on the outlands or in the distant lands from Medina Manora. And they are people who have been put in charge of grazing those camels that are part of the zakat fund that have been done in zakat. So apparently the suggestion is that the climate there was different. So the Prophet told them that well, you can go and live with them, you can go settle with them. So they went there and they settled with them. But then what happened is the Sabah went one day and they found that all of that community which was in charge of herding and grazing and caretaking for their camels, they were lying on the ground with their hands and feet had been cut off, needles had been put into their eyes, and they had been laid out in the sun to die alive underneath the sun. And all the camels had been stolen. So when Sabah Kram saw this, so they went to the Prophet and that is the occasion of this revelation. And Sayyidina Susan then sent the Sahaba after that group and those eight people were caught and arrested and so they did this sort of very outrageous act of murder and theft. They did two things. That's what sort of viewed as the... I'll come back to the facade. So they did theft and murder and brutalization of, of the murder victim. So the Prophet some they were ordered and this is the feature by the way in the laws of Islamic criminals of Kisas that sometimes like unto like. Right? So Sayyidina Sussam ordered that everything they had done to those people would be done to these eight as well. So the same thing was done to them, that their limbs, hands and feet were cut off from opposite side and needles were put in their eyes and they were made to lie out into the sun until death overcame them. Alright? So this ayah is mentioning several things. Number one is this crime called Hiraba and Katal and Fasad Fil Ard. Now what does Hiraba mean? Now, although I would love to do this tafsir, astaghfirullah, I wouldn't love to do that, actually. It would be a great tragedy to do that. But, uh, what verse comes to your mind when you see this? Alladina yuharibun Allah wa rasuluhu. What verse comes to your mind? Riba, right? That we didn't surah Baqarah, right? Well, Allah said, biharbim min Allahi wa rasuli, right? that anybody who continues in riba and didn't desist from that, didn't refrain from that, they should hear the proclamation of war. But no Mufassir has ever suggested, so it's not my place to suggest then, that this hiraba that is referred to here would include the crime of taking interest. But nonetheless, I would suggest that a person who is still engaged in interest should emotionally feel that way. 
right? Even if it may not be legally the case, that here in one ayah, Allah Ta'ala Surah Baqarah has mentioned, بِحَرْبِ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ And here Allah Subhanahu is talking about those, because that was Allah and the Prophet wage war on them. And here is they wage war on Allah and the Prophet But similar things, right? And they should think that what if, you know, even if that's not the legal injunction, but I'm a person who may be, you know, somebody who spiritually is at the same level who is worthy of such a punishment. What is this punishment, this crime then of Hiraba? So four crimes have been mentioned here uh, by the commentators in Quran on this concept of Hiraba in Fasad Fil Ard. Number one. Number one crime is to, which is what these people did, to murder and steal. So to commit a robbery in which you steal and you murder. Right? Second crime is that if you steal but without killing, you steal but without killing. Sorry, second is you murder without stealing. Third is you steal without killing. And, okay, so these are three different crimes. And the fourth crime is that person who was caught with the intent to rob but had not yet perpetrated the robbery. So first crime, murder and robbery. Second crime, murdering without stealing. Third crime, stealing but no murder. And fourth crime, an intention, maybe to do any one of those three, but just the intention hasn't yet carried it out yet, has not perpetrated the crime yet. So they've separated into these four things. Others later on tried to widen the definition of hiraba. Somebody said that rape should also be hiraba. Allahu alam, right? Uh, but certainly because of this, this hadith that is mentioned in Bukhari and Muslim, this was the notion of murder and robbery. Okay? And there was an added element there, brutalization. So what are the four punishments that are mentioned? So the four punishments that are mentioned are number one, that they should be killed and crucified. So some, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas, his view was that they would be killed and crucified if they both murder and steal. And if they murder but don't steal, they will be just be killed and not crucified. If they steal without killing, their hands and feet will be separate from opposite ends. And this last thing, yunfa min al-ard, he took it to mean exile, that you will banish them, exile them from Muslim society. That will take place if they didn't actually do it yet, but they were caught with the intent to perpetrate that crime. Alright? This is suggesting a different type of robbery that's coming, it's also coming, the robbery of simply, the punishment of which is simply cutting the hand. One way the Mufasrin have taken this is that these are crimes that are committed out of a sadistic thing. Whereas there may be a person who steals or murders. So for example, if a person murders uh, this type of murder, then there's no diet, there's no waiving of the penalty. If a person murders in this way. In other words, if a person, if a gang of 10 people go and rob 10 people and kill those, a gang of 10 people go rob and murder 5 people, the waratha of those 5 murder victims cannot take diet, cannot forgive this gang. Because it's a different type of murder. So it's viewed as a type of sadistic murder. Alright? Whereas there may be other types of murder that may be equally outrageous in the sense that they're murder, but don't involve something like sadism. Another reason why it's mentioned in the facade fil is that if people feel this fear that they can be robbed and they can even be killed for the sake of, as, as part of that robbery, 
then that eliminates the sort of aman and itminan and peace and security that a society is supposed to have. So what it means is that when criminals or gangs do this type of activity, not only are they guilty of robbery and guilty of murder, they're guilty of creating a climate of fear and apprehension. They're guilty of taking away the aman that a Muslim society should have. So that, it, that itself is also a facade fil art. Right? Okay. Some people may still think, right, maybe I'll just go ahead and do that now and get that out of the way, that some people think that, uh, okay, yeah, it's one more thing, that some of the ulama have the view that the emir and the qazi has the discretion in all of the crimes to pick any one of these four that he wants. Others have taken the view that yunfo, banished means not exile but to imprison. And this was the view of uh, Imam Shafi'i Mullah and Imam Rifa'i felt that uh, agreed with Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas that each of the penalties are going to be ascribed to the four different crimes. Uh, Imam At-Tabari, he tried to combine this issue of exile and imprison by saying you should imprison him in a faraway land. So you should build some type of Alcatraz in some faraway place and imprison such a person over there. All right. Another ruling in Sharia is that if a gang of robbers kill someone, but there's only one actual robber who may be killed that one, right? It doesn't matter, the whole gang will be killed. The whole gang is viewed as guilty. It's, it's irrelevant who actually pulled the trigger on that robbery victim. The whole gang will be punished. So, Deen of Islam, the philosophy of criminal law, and many times in many other jurisdictions, criminal law is viewed as a deterrent. So, the Islamic concept is not that these are barbaric laws. The Islamic concept is that these are very strict and severe punishments, but for very strict and severe crimes. And they want to have strict and severe deterrence for strict and severe crimes. All right? But today, in today's world, people view this notion, for example, of amputation as extremely barbaric. Right? Now, barbaric is just a word that you can just cast on someone and you can throw on someone. Right? Keeping, you know... Keeping a U.S. military officer who releases certain things to WikiLeaks in solitary confinement on a brig for I don't know how many months so far, I could call that barbaric. <laughs> right? That's also barbaric. Right? So it, it, it's, you know, this can't be, this is not a, you cannot banter about the slur of what's inhumane and what's barbaric. Alright? For us, for a believer, there's no way Allah Ta'ala would say anything in the Qur'an that's inhumane or barbaric. Whatever Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an is, Ayn-i munasib, Ayn-i haq, right? Has the most right to be called the most perfect punishment. Now, humane, well, obviously they've done something that's inhumane, right? They've done something that's terrible. Especially when you look at the case in which murder was involved, or there was an intent to murder, Alright? Okay, so I wanted to explain because some of them people just read the translation, they, you know, that you know, cutting off limbs from opposite sides and crucifixion and this and that. So it was that particular incident where they had crucified them with the needles and the eyes. That was the method that these people used to crucify Sahaba Ikram. Sahaba Ikram who were working for the Islamic State and they were simply herding and pasturing or grazing to pasture those camels. So they were crucified with their eyes. That's Quite a barbaric thing to do. Alright? Okay. And obviously, on top of it was the deception as well, as posing to be believers, etc., etc., violating the hospitality of those people. Many, many things. Many, many things. So it was a horrific crime. Why is it part of Quran? Understand that as well. 
Because many such things are just taken care of in hadith. Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet so many doesn't, it and becomes hadith. It's in Quran because unfortunately there will always be members of humanity who perpetrate horrific crimes. And you just don't do it, but you could just surf any, or even any news site, and you can see that, right? And so because there are going to be vile and sadistic acts, of horrific acts, crimes, there should always be such a stern punishment. So that's why Allah Ta'ala made it part of Qur'an so people know that it's not confined just to that. Because some commentators also try to, not actual mufassirun, but some speakers try to gloss over it and suggest that that was just khas. No. Anything that is, remember this rule, anything that is khas, and make sure you don't, the converse isn't true by the way. So let me, make, let me explain this clearly. Any ruling or injunction that is khas to the time of the Prophet and Sahaba, that's not going to be in Quran, that's going to be in Hadith. However, the converse isn't true. It doesn't mean that every ruling and injunction that is in Hadith is khas to the Prophet and time in the Sahaba. That's a separate fund. That's if one way we do, we do with you Dora Hadith. <laughs> now we're doing Dora Tafsir. Alright? Okay. Alright, so this is done, it's done, done. So you believe you should fear Allah and you should seek a means to Him. Alright, what does this mean? Okay, means to Him does not mean, number one, I want to explain that there's this word wasila that comes up. Wasila does not mean make dua to Ghairullah. So there's this concept of wasila and tawassul. Let me just explain that very briefly. First of all, it's not permissible. To, it's not permissible to make dua to ghairullah in any way. What is permissible is sometimes, not as a rule, not as a norm, but sometimes when you genuinely feel like this emotionally, is to invoke something. When you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa taala, by invoke what do I mean? So for example, in Hadith in Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet mentions that there are three people from a pre-Islamic community who were in a cave doing something. That's not mentioned in the Hadith, right? And all of a sudden a boulder came down and closed off the opening to that grave, cave. So each of them started making dua to Allah subhanahu Each of them invoked something. Don't get me wrong by invoke, I don't mean dua. Invoke, I mean they mentioned something. That's, that's one meaning. That's actually not, but that's not even what's going on here in this ayah. I'm just talking about this concept of wasila and tawassal. They mentioned something. So one of them, for example, mentioned that once I had the ability to do zina, but I kept myself back just for your sake, Allah. So in the name of that amal, in the name of that, move the boulder, and the boulder move one-third of however it would have to move for one person to be able to escape, right? And just like that, each of the three of them invoked something. That's what I mean. They presented something, went to Allah while they were making dua to Allah. That is permissible. And it's permissible to present either your love for someone or Allah Ta'ala's love for someone. So for example, if a person goes to Bukhara and goes to the grave of Imam Bukhari. Now again, I told you it's an emotional thing. You could, the dua I'm about to make, you can make that sitting right here. But that person, especially a person who studied the hadith collection of a particular muhajjah, will obviously feel something emotionally because the fact of deen of Islam is that person is physically there in their grave. They're not here. They're there. So when you go to the grave of Imam Bukhari, you are actually next to him. That's not true over here. So the fact that you are next to him and that he is alive in his grave, in a different sense, the same way that we told you the shuhada are alive, right? That was done in Quran. So the ranks that are above them, Siddiqin and Anbiya, are also alive in their graves. So he is in some sense alive in his grave. So that may have an emotional impact on a person. 
So a person can invoke the love they have for Imam Bukhari when making dua to Allah subhanahu as follows. Though after reciting the masnoon duas at the grave, right? Maybe reciting some other duas, maybe reciting some Quran as he saw the suwab. Then they can make dua to Allah subhanahu and say, Oh Allah, out of the love that I have for Imam Bukhari, or and or out of the love that you have for him, for example, make dua like this. That Allah Ta'ala make me also an ashik of the sunnah the way you made him. Make me also mm, a hamal of the hadith as you made him. Make me also have taqwa as you granted him. Right? So the dua is made to Allah Ta'ala alone. But as a precursor to that dua, a person may present something. Right? Or invoke something. That is the only concept of wasila and tubasul that is jayz in Islam. And those people who suggest that know that you can actually pray to awliya or ask awliya in their grave to pray for you, you can't do that. You can you cannot, Imam Bukhari is also awliya. Don't think awliya are just sufiya. Awliya is a very wide category. You cannot ask Imam Bukhari to pray for you. You can't do that. Right? And nor can you pray to him. Alright? Okay. And so most, unfortunately most famously, because Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jalani Rahimullah was the greatest Awliya Sulaha Ulama of this Ummah and unfortunately maybe one of the most widely occurring false and unlawful types of Tawassul as when people call to him and say Ya Ghoth, Madad, Madad you can't call to him like that you can't make, that's Dua you cannot make Dua to Shaykh Al-Dakadah Janayin and Himmullahu Ta'ala alright, what you could do is learn get Madad from his life of Taqwa and learn from the lessons of his life and his teachings, that would be better but you cannot say that sentence alright here, Allah Ta'ala is saying, separate, just because that word, the reason I'm mentioning it here is because, let's just say those certain people who think you can say those things, they quote this ayah as their dalil. That's why I'm saying that this ayah is not their dalil. Alright? Okay. Al-Wasila. So what is Allah Ta'ala saying here in the Quran? Ya Allah Ta'ala that you should fear Allah and you must seek a wasila that leads to him that means there are things that will lead you close to Allah and first and foremost is what we already discussed when we did this year Surah Fatah Mustaqim Anamta Alayhim and who are those Anamta Alayhim Nabiyin Siddiqin Shuhada and Salihin and Allah says in Quran for example Kunuma Sadiqin that you must keep yourself in the perpetual close, intimate companionship of the sadiqeen. That's a wasila to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're not keeping company with them for the sake of them. You're keeping company with them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this refers to all hub fillah, all hub lillah. Wasila, that's one way wasila can assume persons. Wasila can also mean actions. That seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the means. So for example, action of ibadah, action of tilawah, action of dhikr, action of du'a. Right? Seek some means by which you reach out and make that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? So this is what it means. And you should strive in his path. Here, because there is no particular context, we could take jahidu here quite fairly to mean just generally struggling. But it can also mean, certainly, it doesn't exclude the meaning of jihad in the meaning of kital, which means to fight unjust aggression. For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so that you may, attain, you may attain eternal felicity and success in the Akhirah. In the Kafaru, indeed, those who disbelieve, they 
So those who disbelieve, if they had everything that is contained in the earth, and another earth's world from it. So let's say they would give all the charity of all the gold and diamonds and cash and silver and precious metals and all of that, rubies and emeralds. They were to give that much charity. And they were to give double that, yet another likeness of all that is in that. So it means that they're trying to buy themselves out of the punishment. Now what is it? It's not even adhabi jahannam. Adhabi yomil qiyamah. Just the day of judgment, the punishment that they're going to have. Just on the day of judgment, the torment that they will have. Ma tukubbila minhum, it will never be accepted from them. Allahu Akbar kabira. This is the first time I think so far you've had in Quran al-Kareem of the mention of that there will be a punishment on the day of judgment. Right? So that's just a good English word for this. That they're trying to ransom themselves out from this punishment. Just the day of judgment's punishment. يُرِيدُونَ أَن يَخْرُجُوا مِنَ النَّارِ وَمَا هُمْ بِخَارِجِينَ مِنْهَا وَلَهُمْ أَذَابٌ مُقِيمٌ So now Allah is saying is that what is it that they wish? They wish that they want to escape from the fire of Jahannam. They will never be able to escape from it. They will never be able to escape from it. وَلَهُمْ أَذَابٌ مُقِيمٌ This is yet another word. So you've had أَذَابٌ أَذِيمٌ أَذَابٌ أَذِيمٌ أَذَابٌ مُحِينٌ And you had another one before also. This is the fifth one that has come. أَذَابٌ مُقِيمٌ مُقِيمٌ means steadfast, perpetual, unfading, unwavering. Allahu Akbar. Unrelenting. Hmm? Unrelenting. أَذَابٌ مُقِيمٌ It can also mean an adab that will be qaim on them, that will be musallat on them. Now comes that verse about thieves, so I've explained this. وَصَارَكُ وَصَارَكُ فَقْتَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا جَزَاءً بِمَا كَسَبَا نَكَالًا مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ So وَصَارَكُ interesting here is male thief and the female thief. Nukta is that later when the ayah comes about zina, it's going to say وَزَانِيَةُ وَزَانِي It'll first put the female fornicators and the male fornicator when it comes to the hundred lashes. And here the theft, so it suggests suggest that theft is normally committed more by a man and zina is either committed more by a woman or more responsibility of that falls on a woman that's the tafsir when it comes over there why did Allah Ta'ala change the order and it's not some coincidence right Allah Ta'ala ahkum al-hakimin he does not mince words or use words unwisely so here in the male thief and the female thief you should cut each of their hands dizam as a complete punishment and crime or as a consequence bima kasaba which will punish them for each and everything that they did all right so this is the fuqaha have different definitions of theft that's also what we want you to understand that what exactly is theft first of all somebody steals something in a state of duress right in a state of duress then that does not constitute theft it's a gross misunderstanding that people say that sayyidna umar did ijtihad and waived the punishment of theft at his time. He didn't waive the punishment of theft at all because the person who stole at that time was stealing out of famine and hunger. That's not called theft. Sayyidina Umar did not waive anything. That does not fall under the definition of sarika. Shari theft means. Now different jurists have come up with different... Uh, numbers, the Imam Munif said, felt that 10 dirhams was the minimum. Others have taken a number of other number of dirhams and dinars. But there's a minimum amount of a valued asset that was protected that a person steals, not due to some dire necessities such as famine or hunger. That is called theft. 
when a person does that, then the punishment for that is uh, that they should be amputated. Nakalam min Allah, this is a punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wallahu aziz wa and indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all powerful and all wise. Faman taba min ba'di dhulmihi. But that, and each and every such person who makes tawbah after they make this error, aslaha, and then they make amends and act righteously thereafter, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَتُوبُ alayhi. Then indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all relenting unto them and will accept their tawbah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورُ rahim. Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving and all merciful. But you see here, unlike before where it said, إِلَّا مَنْ Illa suggested that don't do the punishment except, right here there's no exception. It's just a separate thing that they can save themselves from the punishment of Akhirah. But Tawbah, in this case, does not save a person from a thief from the punishment of amputation. Alright? Okay. Alam ta'alamannallahaluhumulkusamawatiwal-ard. Do you not know that to Allah subhanahu wa belongs the exclusive dominion and possession of all that lies above and all that is on the earth? Yuadibu man yasha. Allah subhanahu wa will punish whom he so wills. And whom he so wills again is what he has expressed according to his... Revelation, and he will send his forgiveness for whom so he wills. Wallahu ala kulli shay'in kadir. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is powerful over everything. Ya ayyuhal rasulu. This is the first time you've had this now. You've seen Ya ayyuhal nas, Ya ayyuhal insan, Ya ayyuhal kitab, Ya ayyuhal amanu. Now you have first time it so far is coming Quran. Ya ayyuhal rasul. O my beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. لا يحزنك الذين يصارعون في الكفر من الذين قالوا آمنا بأفواههم. So لا يحزنك that let not these people who hasten to disbelieve, who hasten to atheism, who hasten to polytheism, who hasten to kufr, let them not bring you into huzan. Let them not cause you any grief or worry or sadness. Right. And which people who hasten to unbelief, and they say that they believe with their mouths, but their hearts don't believe. So this is which group that you've seen earlier, the munafiku. Alright? So it's suggesting here, because the Quran is suggesting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran is suggesting that Nabiya Kareem Sassam was deeply hurt by this. Deeply, emotionally saddened and felt grief and sadness over the munafiku. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is consoling the Prophet ﷺ in this ayah. And by extension, consoling the entire ummah, that if there are people who turn out to have nifaq in them, yes, it is acknowledged that it's deeply emotionally disturbing to discover that in a person. But you shouldn't let it despair you, you shouldn't let it make you sad or make you grieve. Second ishara, وَلَمْ تُؤْمِنْ قُلُوبُهُمْ That their kulub don't take iman. And I've been highlighting this to you wherever it comes. It's come after a couple of days now, the qalb. So where does the person believe? Iman lies in their qalb, in their heart. Right? Qalb is your spiritual heart. Not your physical heart that pumps blood. Right? So iman lies in the qalb. Earlier we've shown you taqwa, hidayah, so many things lie in this qalb. وَمِنَّ hadu, And from amongst those who were Jews, سَمَّاؤُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ سَمَّاؤُونَ لِكَوْمٍ آخِرِينَ Okay, this is a particular thing that the Jews used to do. This is yet another turning back to the Jews. And then again, shortly we're going to turn back again to the Christians. Let's just see if there's anything we want to say here. About theft is done. Alright. وَمِنَ هَادُوا And from the Jews. سَمَّاؤُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ What are they doing? They are eagerly 
listening and trying to make others listen to lies and fabrications. And what is the second thing they have to doing? لَكُمْ مِنْ آخَرِينَ That there's some community of other people, another nation, that has not yet come to the Prophet ﷺ. They're waiting to hear and listen and transmit lies from them and to them. لَمْ يَأْتُوكَ So this group, this قوم has not yet come to the Prophet ﷺ. يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَةِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَوَادِئِهِ This I explained to you before that they alter the words and misplace the words from from their proper places in their text of the Torah. يَكُولُونَ إِنْ أُتِيْتُمْ هَذَا فَخُذُوهُ وَإِنْ لَمْ تُؤْتُوهُ فَهْذَرُوا Alright. This is going to be a long incident of the mischief of the Jews that they're going to occur. What do they do is they say that if you receive this order, then accept it. And if you do not receive it, then uh, leave it. Right? So in utitum hada, if you have heard it, then you should do it. And what they do is they prevented people from hearing it by concealing it or by altering the words or by changing the order of the words. There's a particular incident that's going to come. I'll explain to you in a moment. This is an issue about Rajam. This is a hadith in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood that Jews came to the Prophet and asked them to arbitrate on a dispute that they had. And it was a dispute concerning adultery. It's a long hadith. I'll, I'll read it to you in a moment. fitnatahu. فَلَن تَمْلِكَ لَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَمْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَن يُطَهِّرَ قُلُوبَهُمْ لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا خِزْيٌ وَلَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ So whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala مَيْدِ اللَّهُ desires fitna tahu that they should be in fitna that they should be in strife and discord فَلَن تَمْلِكَ لَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not bestow upon them any single thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, uh, you will not be able to, فَلَنْتَمْلِكَ That you will not be able to help them from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any particular way. Let's see how you translated this. You shall never be able to assist him against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will never be able to assist him against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَمْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَنْ يُطَحِّرَ قُلُوبَهُمْ These are those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no intention whatsoever of purifying their hearts. Right? So this whole notion of tathir kalb is also coming from this ayah. And it's also a notion that it's Allah subhanahu who purifies the heart. Your ibadah and zikr is just trying to attract Allah subhanahu hukam that our heart should become pure. In this world they should have an abasement and degradation and in the afterlife they will have an immense and enormous punishment. Alright. What is this issue that is going on? So this incident is a quite long hadith mentioned in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood. That is that there, in the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah there was a married Jewish woman. And she committed adultery. Okay. Now there was a dispute amongst the Jews. And there were actually quite a few disputes that took place between this Bani Qurayza and Banu Nazir. So there was a dispute amongst the Jews as to what should be done, what should be the punishment. So surprisingly enough, they decided to approach Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. And the reason was, is that they were worried that because in their own religion, the punishment for this is rajam was stoning to death. And they thought, because they felt, that they actually felt that Sayyidina Rasulullah And they didn't want, for whatever reason, some suggest that the woman was a member of nobility, Allahu Alam, but they didn't want this woman to be inflicted with that punishment. So they thought that if they go to the Prophet then he'll give a more lenient punishment. Okay. So when they went to the Prophet so he first asked them, right? He first asked them that, are you prepared to accept my ruling? They said, yes. He said, okay. My ruling is that she should be given budget. 
She should be stoned to death. So again, obviously, the Jews immediately said, no, we don't accept your ruling and this and that and the other. At that moment, according to the Hadith, it's in Sunan of Daud, that the angel Jibreel came down to the Prophet and told him, that what you should do is you should tell them that there is a Jew amongst you, Ibn Suriyah. And you should tell him that, let him decide. Ibn Suriyah was one of the greatest, you can say, rabbis, rabbinical scholars. He was one-eyed. So when the Prophet said this, so the Jews got very happy. Right? That now the decision is going to go to somebody of the realm. So they called him. So when they called him, the Prophet turned to him and said that, I want you to swear an oath by that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, other than whom there is no other God. And then the way he said it to him, and by that Allah ta'ala who revealed the Torah to Musa alayhi salam, who rescued you from Misr, who parted the seas from you, who shaded you in the clouds, who gave you man and salwa, he made him swear this oath. That you will tell the truth. So he swore the oath. Then he asked him that in the Torah, in the Torah, is there a legal ruling that the married adulterer should be stoned to death? So Ibn Israel said that yes. I swear by the being by whom you ask me to swear that the punishment of Rajam stoning to death for adultery is present in the Torah. And if I had not feared lying and burning in Jahannam due to that, due to changing the laws of the Torah, I would never have admitted it to you. So Sayyidina Susam that asked them, asked the Jews, they were all there and asked them, so how long has it been? Literally that's how you would feel. How long has it been since you've been mm, changing the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I mean, when did you stop stoning the adulterers? Okay? So then the Jews responded, or Ibn Israel responded, that actually what happened was that when a noble person, fascinating, and whether we have the adat of Jews in us, right? That... They started avoiding this when people of nobility and high rank and the elites, let's put it that way, started doing the sin. And so the elites didn't want to be killed. So then they found a way around it and they tried to hide these verses. But what they still did is when a commoner committed the sin, they would still try to stone them. So then the common Jews rebelled and specifically Ibn Israel mentions an incident that once the son of our king's uncle, so the Jewish king's uncle's son, means the Jewish king's cousin, committed adultery, and he wasn't stoned. Later, a common person also committed adultery, and when we wanted to stone him, the rabbis wanted to stone him, his family protested, saying that they won't hand him over to be stoned, unless the king's cousin is also stoned. So then, since then, the rabbis decided we just hide this ruling altogether. But fascinating, this hadith in Abu Dawood points out, is yet one of the many, many things, and we're going to do that when we come to that verse, that established that the Islamic punishment uh, for adultery of a married person is stoning. Now whether there was a verse in Quran and abrogated or not, what does that mean? That's separate because the law is proven from many, many hadith that we will show and we will discuss that later. Alright? So this was the issue that Allah SWT also revealed these ayat that after, in some sense, the Jews were embarrassed that Ibn Surayah, their own, because he took that oath, he exposed and revealed to the Prophet ﷺ how they were violating the laws of the Torah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing them. Alright, so where were we? We are on verse number 42. They are extremely intent and eager listeners to lies and fabrications. Akaluna lisuhti. And what are they doing? They're devourers of the unlawful. Akkal means they extremely greedily consume and devour. Sot means unlawful. And we did that before about interest. So now if they come to you, fahkum bainahum, you should decide between them. Alright? You should decide between them. 
Or you have another option, O A'rid Anhum, or you can ignore them altogether. Wa in to'rid Anhum, and if you ignore them, means you turn away from them, you don't pay them any attention. They will not be able to harm you, Prophet in any way, in the slightest. But if you choose the option that you will judge and arbitrate, or judge, adjudicate between them, then you should decide amongst them and between them on the basis of equitable justice. This is now number seven. So we completed all seven for you. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the people who deal with others on the basis of equity, justice, and fairness. So how is it that they are seeking just judgment from you when they have the Torah with them? And in that Torah lies the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what the whole thing, incident is going to play out, right? That the ruling was, that they're asking the Prophet was already there in their own book. But indeed, after that, after notwithstanding the fact that the hukum was in the Torah, they have turned away and spurned it. So such people can never ever be considered or labeled as believers. People who have a hukam in their book and they turn away from it. This is an ashara for us. That if there's a hukam in Quran and we turn away from it, there's a hukam in our deen and we don't follow it, we don't implement it, we don't decide on its basis. That's what Allah is telling the Jews. That they had a ruling and they didn't decide on its basis. So we could be guilty of the same thing, that we have rulings and we don't decide on their basis. Then such people are not to be considered or viewed and, and not are in Allah subhanahu eyes bil mu'minin. They're not believers. Alright. Inna anzalna Torah fiha hudan wa nur. And indeed we sent the Torah onto them from um, between them and amongst them. Hudan as a, as a guidance. Wa nur and as a nur. Yahkumu bihan nabiyyun alladheena aslamu lilladheena hadu And indeed those anbiya who had submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the prophets, they judged, yahkumu, they judged according to that, and they judged and they issued judgments to who? Lilladheena hadu, to the Jews. Wal-Rabbaniyuna wal-Ahbar. Rabbaniyun is what we sometimes tend to choose. Allah wala, you can call them, mm, in English, people, nobody's really been able to come up with a good English one for this. Rabbaniyun, those of Allah, the men of Allah, the devotees of Allah, the devotees of Allah, the intimate, uh, loving devotees of Allah. Well, Ahbar, Ahbar means the deep scholars. Ahbar means the deep scholars. Bimastuhfidu min kitabillahi wakanu alayhi shuhada. So, and, and because they were instructed, we must by means of that which they were told to preserve from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَقَانُوا alayhi shuhada, And indeed they were witnesses to that. So, فَلَا تَكْشَوُ النَّاسَ وَكْشَوْنِي So don't fear people. Allah Ta'ala is saying, a ground fear me. وَلَا تَشْتَرُوا بِآيَاتِي ثَمَنًا kalila, And do not trade my verses of revelation and the commandments and injunctions that lie therein for a paltry sum. Right now, this ayah and that person, whomsoever does not decide on the basis of that which Allah Ta'ala reveals, then each and every such people will be deemed to be unbelievers. This is a very strong ayah, right? Now, this ayah has not been taken, by the way, it's not, it's not been taken by the jurist to mean 
that if somebody is not ruling according to Islamic law and Sharia, they're an unbeliever. It hasn't been taken in that sense that you make the fear of such a person. But it has been taken in a spiritual sense that anybody who has the book, has the sunnah, has deen, and that deen has injunctions and commandments in it, and a person does not make decisions and especially adjudicate on the basis of that knowledge and basis of what Allah has revealed, then such a person is a denier, is ungrateful, is a spiritually unbeliever. Right? وَكَتَبْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ فِيهَا أَنَّ النَّفْسَ بِالنَّفْسِ And Allah said, and we had prescribed for them, the Jews, in that Torah, that a life for a life, وَالْعَيْنَ بِالْعَيْنِ And an eye for an eye, وَالْأَنْفَ بِالْأَنْفِ And a nose for a nose, وَالْأُذُنَ بِالْأُذُنِ And an ear for an ear, وَالْسِنَّ بِالسِنِّ And a tooth for a tooth. What does this mean? So these are, okay, وَالْجُرُوحَ كِسْرَاسٌ These wounds, wounds that can be inflicted in the like, uh, for example, if somebody, and literally this was this, uh, I forgot what they called this, the type of retributive or retaliatory justice, lex talionis, that's what Mulvey would call it, right? So an eye for an eye, so it means if somebody, well let's take the little bit less gruesome, the last one, if somebody punched you and knocked a tooth of yours out, so the question is that can anybody else inflict the exact same type of punch on you to knock the same tooth out if there's a danger that the person may end up knocking two of yours out whereas you knocked one of his out then instead there will be a monetary punishment. But if there is some zabardust, I don't know, <laughs> some type of like skeet shooting type boxing Olympic champion who says that he can knock that same exact tooth out then it is a tooth for a tooth. So it's a notion, it's a law of retributive justice. And I'm mentioning this because this isn't just Allah Ta'ala saying this is in the Torah and it's there. And all Jewish scholars, and this is acknowledged, right? It's not, in fact, much, and I, nobody's got into that. You know, maybe our friend here could be convinced, right? If, if he, <laughs> there's no Muslims who actually, I don't know of any Muslim who is actually a scholar, a real, I mean, a, like a top-notch scholar of Judaism. And the Torah and the Old Testament. I'm really curious at what a person would find in there. And I think a person would find a lot that they conceal. And a person would find a lot that goes with Quran. And that whole notion of concealing is probably still going on today. And especially if that person could learn Aramaic and Syriac and Hebrew and work with ancient texts, I think they'd find a whole lot of stuff. That maybe even just that exercise itself could be yet another way to irrefu- irrefutably prove the veracity of Quran to those very same Jewish Orientalist scholars who are always trying to write all types of crazy things about how Islam originated. <laughs> I'm quite sure actually. Uh, that may be one reason why they also have such a tight lock on these Dead Sea Scrolls. Right? Here, so, again. So then, in those cases in which you cannot uh, inflict the like punishment then what are you going to have to do you're going to have to give the charity and in that charity uh, is a kafara mm, will be a kafara for that second uh, thing that is being mentioned is tasaddaka is the victim tasaddaka can mean charity right and tasaddaka can also mean that the victim can choose to forgive the person so what you had, diet, you had this, or so you had alf in the kisas of murder. You also have the laws of alf and parting and forgiveness and these laws of kisas which are inflicting of wounds. Right? Inflicting of wounds. Alright. Um, 
Okay. Waman okay, this is I going to be repeated. Waman Lam Yahkum Bima Anzalullahu Faulaika Humul Zalimun and indeed so before it said Kafiru, now it's saying Zalimun and whomsoever dis, does not decide, fails to decide, refuses to decide based on that which Allah SWT sent down Fa'ulaika, all such people, humul zalimun. These are people who are actually perpetuating injustice. So the ishara here, Allah Ta'ala is saying, as that His commands and laws are to be followed not just out of belief and taqwa and fear of Allah and spirituality, but they also have to be followed for the sake of implementation of justice and security in society. So the person who doesn't follow the decisions is guilty of two crimes. One, disbelieving and denying Allah Ta'ala's right to be as, his, as, as our Malik and us as his Ibad, denying and disbelieving in his right to judge and adjudicate between us. And second, the person is guilty of this zulm, that by not letting the laws of Allah Ta'ala be implemented, they are perpetrating injustice and unfairness and inequity, and depriving people of the justice and equity, the perfection of justice and equity that lies only and only and alone in the Sharia and in the Islamic laws of uh, as prescribed by re- revealed revelation, revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. وَكَفَيْنَا عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ بِئِيسَ بْنِ مَرْيَمْ Alright. وَمُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ مِنَ التَّوْرَاتِ Now here Allah Ta'ala is mentioning an interesting thing, that the Isa alayhi salam was also sent. So the Prophet is not the first musaddik that they're disbelieving in. Allah Ta'ala sent Nabi Isa alayhi salam also to confirm what they had with them Already in the Torah. Alright. Wataynahud Injila Fihu Hudan Wanur. So the Torah was referred to as a Hudan and a Nur. Now Injil is being referred to as a Hudan. So all the original scriptures and the original revealed form contain guidance and light. And obviously the Injil contained the verification of that which was already in their hands with the Torah. And again it's being referred to as a guidance. And an advice or an admonishment it can be taken both ways. To the people of Taqwa. Again. And another reason why Sayyidina was sent was that the people of the Injil, the Ahlul Injil, they should also, it would befit them that they should also decide by means of that which Allah Ta'ala revealed to them. So the Jews are guilty of not doing it and the Christians are also being guilty of not going to do it. So then again Allah Ta'ala is going to say, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَحْكُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ فَأُولَاكَهُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ The third word. And whomsoever doesn't decide on the basis of that which Allah Ta'ala has revealed, each and every such people are immoral sinners and transgressors. Kafirun, Zalimun, Fasikun. Three, all three words are coming on the basis of this. There's nothing. So this is showing the importance of enacting the collective teachings of Islam. Entering Kafirun and Zalimun and Fasikun isn't just about whether you pray Salah or not. This is something else. This is something else being mentioned here. وَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ And now, the last revelation being the two that Allah Ta'ala is saying, revealed to you, Sayyidina Sallallahu the kitab, yani Qur'an al-Kareem bil-haq, مُصَدِّقًا لَمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ And it is uh, confirming in truth all that which is already in front of you from previous scriptures. وَمُحَيْمِنًا عَلَيْهِ فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعْ أَحْوَاءَهُمْ أَمَّا جَاءَكَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ لِكُلِّنْ جَأَلْنَا مِنْكُمْ شِرْأَةً وَمِنْ حَاجَةً 
ولو شاء الله لجعلكم أمة واحدة ولكن ليبلوكم فيما آتاكم فاستبقوا الخيرات إلى الله مرجئكم جميعا فينبئكم بما كنتم فيه تختلفون Here then Allah SWT is mentioning about Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Let's see if there's anything else in here Alright, that we have revealed the book to you confirming what came down before And the book is a muhaymin Muhaymin means guardian or protector, right? And this is for those of you who study sarf You would know that al-muhaymin is also one of the asmal husna Muhaymin is not ism musaghar It's not the diminutive form Far from Allah Ta'ala's sha'an That any one of his asmal husna would have the diminutive form Muhaymin is what is called mulhak barrubai one of those things that we never taught you in surf. <laughs> this is too intricate, and it's a very advanced topic. Mulhak birubai, just so you don't think that is ism musagar. And if you want to understand this, you should ask our teacher, Malsif Rahman Sahib, has written a whole book on those particular words that are this type, what are called ilhaq. All right? So the Quranicim is a protector over you, and you should vakum, decide, bainahum, between and amongst you. Between and amongst them, bima anzalallahu, by means of that which Allah SWT sent, Literally, it's addressed to the Prophet it means, but by extension from him, all of us do not follow ahwa'uhum, do not follow their whims and desires and fancies. Amma ja'aka minul haq, over that which has come to you from the haq from Allah SWT. Alright. Now Allah SWT is going to mention another interesting thing. And this is this notion of humanity being multifaceted. Alright? لِكُلِّنْ جَعَلْنَا مِنْكُمْ شِرْعَ That for each and every one of you, we have stipulated this shir'a. This is the sharia. Right? A particular sharia. So the sharia of Sayyidina Musa Islam in Torah was different. Sharia of Isa Islam in Jail was different. Sayyidina Rasulullah Islam in Quran is different. So to each and every one of you was made by Allah SWT made a sharia. وَمِنْ حَاجَ Now مِنْ حَاجَ you know, English, you know, simply speaking, you could say a way, an outlook, an orientation, a andaz, a rung, right? So the way, it's not just that the sharia of the Jews is different, their whole mizaj, their way is different. It's not just the sharia of the Christians is different, their way, their rung was different. And deen of Islam has been given not just to sharia, but it's also been given a uniquely perfect minhaj also. So the Islamic culture, the Islamic temperament, the Islamic outlook, the Islamic orientation, all of this can be considered minhaj. Alright? Okay. Wallah Shah Allahu. And had Allah subhanahu wa were Allah subhanahu wa to wish show, he would have made you into one ummah. Now what does this mean? Obviously the Muslims are one ummah. Allah subhanahu wa here is talking about humanity. And here it actually means in terms of race or ethnicity or language or tribe or clan or other different factors. So Allah Ta'ala is saying He could have made you all. He could have made you all Punjabi or Ain. Imran Sahib. Allah Ta'ala is saying, I'm cursing If Allah Ta'ala had wanted to. <laughs> right? But Allah Ta'ala didn't want to do that. Allah Ta'ala didn't want to do that. Why? Because He wanted to test. Test. So this is also an ibtila. Uh, this is also a test being created in multiple communities, multiple ethnicities, languages, cultures, Oh, culinary, mm, mm, different foods and different dresses and different ways to follow the sunnah, right? 
Nigerians have their own Sunnah Libas, and Turks have their own Sunnah Libas, and the Arabs have their own Sunnah Libas. Even the Sunnah has been manifested in multiple mm, ways, even different ways people tie the turbans, right? Sudanese, Yemenis, Pakistanis are kind of like this, and others have different styles. So Allah SWT has made humanity in different ways, right? Different ways. Alright? Okay. What is our job? What are we supposed to do? Fima atakum, that Allah Ta'ala is testing you based on that which He has given you. Fastabikul khayrat, that you should hasten to do good deeds. Ilallahi marji'ukum, to Allah Subhanahu is your return jamia, all of you. Fayunabbi'ukum, and then Allah Subhanahu will surely inform you, Fima kuntum talifun, about all of those things that you use to differ and disagree about. Now, it doesn't mean that this is not supposed to be your ideal view of Jannah, that you're going to find out, you're going to do your comparative fixed technique finally. In Jannah, inshallah, you'll be busy doing other things. You'll be busy doing more noble pursuits. And maybe there you realize that you create nobody bad minity. Just me up, you Alright? Here, so here it means, because Allah is talking about all of humanity. You don't misunderstand this verse. So here Allah is saying on the Day of Judgment, He will inform humanity that some of you thought Buddhism was cracked and some of you thought Hinduism cracked and you thought, and, and, and I would really say that this ayah, makes it clear that there is no notion of ethical relativism in Islam, or really spiritual relativism in Islam, that to each his own and all the religions are fine. No. Allah Ta'ala is saying, that's not going to be there. بِمَا كُنْتُمْ فِيهِ تَخْتَلِفُونَ Allah Ta'ala will clearly decide, Allah Ta'ala will clearly tell you, clearly, and decide for you about all of those things that you deferred about in matters of deen, in matters of spirituality, in matters of right religion. Right? Okay. Alright, inshallah, we'll stop over here. Okay. Ayah number 48. Subhana Rabbina wa Wahabullah wa Sallihana Sayyiduna Muhammad wa Ala Ali Sayyiduna Muhammad wa Barak wa Sallam. Rabbana Tanamna Anfusana wa Inlam Takfilana wa Tarhamna Nanakunana Manakhasinin. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we are sitting in front of you in the first of Ramadan, in the first day of this month of Rahmah, this month of Barakah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we too are offering our first humble, feeble fast to you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, it is in your power, it is in your mercy. It would absolutely befit your sha'an that Ya Allah, even on the basis of this one single fast that we offer, but only and only for you, that you can make this fast a kafara for all of our previous sins. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept this fast. We ask that you give us tawfiq to fast every day in this first fast of this month of Ramadan. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept all of our future fasts. Let us spend our days and our nights for your sake in this month, and let us be trained by you in this month month, how to spend the days and nights of our lives in your sake, pursuing your ibadah, following your commands, following the sunnah of your beloved messenger, وسلم, and learning and understanding the way you wish us to be, and understanding and inculcating the sifati mu'mineen from the Qur'an al-Kareem. Ya Allah, Ya Bikreem, Ya Allah, we ask that you save us from the pitfalls of the Jews and the Christians. We ask that you save us from all the errors and mistakes that they made before us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you 
purge us and purify us from all of the alamat and sifat of the munafikeen. And ya make each and every one of us mukhlasin aluhuddin. Make us true and sincere and only and only for you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let any and all of our associations be only and only for you. Let any and all of our loves be only and only for you. Let any and all of our endeavors and identities be only and only for you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want this month of Ramadan to be the month in which we get you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you make us amongst your ibad salihin that you accept us amongst the mu'mineen and that you safeguard our iman until the day we die and let us meet you on the day of judgment in such a state that you are smiling upon us and that we are smiling upon you Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawab rahim wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin. Amen.